Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. Joined, not as always, because my guy Cody Slavtik is actually on a business trip down in Nashville. Uh, he's actually covering that Aries fight card, that stream that he did with uh, Clint for anybody that watched that on his channel. So he's down there commentating for those guys. So... Usually, I call on my guy, John Stargarian, to step in. Unfortunately, the guy's on the links right now uh, shooting some golf uh, on this Friday afternoon. So I'm like, you know what? Let's stick with the theme of the club and sub, guys. Legs actually stepped in way back in the day when Cody had to drop off a short notice. So I thought I'd go with the other guy here. We got my guy, Luke Lamb, from Sparring with Reality Betting. Luke, what's going on, my brother? Another another card, you know, we're right at the end of this crazy, just 12 weeks straight grind. Not going to lie, I'm really looking forward to this break oh, week coming you're up. You're telling me, dog. You're telling yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, researching and slaving these cards every week, you know, it's it's a grind and a half, let alone when you got 12 weeks in a row. But um, yeah, yeah I, I, think it, I think it's an interesting card for sure. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, Weigh-ins going on right now. Looks like everything's going to plan so far, so couple of the short notice fighters uh, Zalal dropping down to 135 he made it good uh Lucindo nice. dropping down to 115 she made it good so looks like we might avoid some uh, wonkiness on, on on the card uh knock on wood well hey it was the the day after that ended up screwing us the for this last week right uh with, with the last event where we had two fights actually drop off the day of uh both of which ended up getting scheduled for this card so we'll see how those people look in with uh you know, having to do back-to-back weight cuts, although they are give, being given a little bit of a cushion, not having to make their actual weight class this week, but still having to cut a little bit. Uh, I'm interested to see how they end up looking on the skills regardless. All right, before we ca- uh, kick the show off, I do want to quickly shout out the sponsors. Obviously, first and foremost, the All-Star for hosting us on their channel as always uh make sure you guys check out the rest of their youtube channel as well to see great interviews from guys like john hyunko and i think if i'm not mistaken sasha platnikov is trying to take on a uh, interviewing role as well so make sure you guys go check out the all-star for that secondly shout out to betonline.ag one of the best sports books in the world in regards to mma considering that they're usually the first on the block with dropping bets uh and props not just for the UFC, but for regional MMA as well. So if you want to further your degeneracy, the best way to do it is through betonline.ag. And then lastly, shout out to CloudBet, one of the best sports books in terms of crypto, uh, and especially because of the, the special props that they do for our show. I will say this. Uh, usually we start off the show by doing a quick recap of last week's event and the special props that they dropped for it. But I think they voided most of those props because of all the late notice dropouts. But one prop I do remember that was still in play, that was one of the the ones that made me chuckle when I found out that they actually made it, was how many times they say brother during Mohammed Usman's fight from the walkout all the way into the interview. And surprisingly, they only said it twice. They only said it twice, and it was said at two and a half. So uh, I don't know if uh, Fitzgerald and, and Michael Bisming and knew about this Cloud Brett prop or something and bet the under. I'm like, you know what? Let's test ourselves. <laughs> Try not to say brother more than two and a half times. And they 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 hit the under there. So shout out to anybody that actually balled up and uh, and went with the under. I went with the over, and I ended up crashing on that. But uh, shout out to the to the commentary team for being able to keep it together in regards to that. All right. Let's get into the fights here. Let's get into this uh, 13 fight card that we have going down in sunny San Diego, California. I'm sure the fighters are excited to be in front of that crowd. Not to mention, I think both of 
uh, Marlon Chito Vera and Dominic Cruz are around from that uh, that neck of the woods. So uh, I think they're excited to be fighting in front of that home crowd, if that's what you want to call it. All right, first fight of the night. We're going to be talking about a 135-pound bout between Yusuf Zalal and Damon Blackshear. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 125 on Zalal and plus 105 on Damon Blackshear. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Luke. There's there's two fights on this card that I'm imagining aren't even on this card, and this is definitely one of them where I just really can't get the best read on either fighter, right? Yusuf Zalal came into the UFC with a little bit of steam. Uh, he was one of those guys that was remaining very active during the COVID era and even like pre-COVID era, uh, got in a bunch of fights. Uh, and then he ran into Ilya Taporia, and it's been pretty much downhill for him ever since, losing uh, decisions to... Uh, Sung Woo Choi, and then most recently to Sean Woodson. Um, now he's taken on the short notice to Mon Blackshear, who, you know, when you look through his record, this guy has a lot of names on his record uh, that he's fought on the regional scene, right? Even if you want to go way back to his amateur scene, you're talking about a guy that took on Tony Gravely and actually beat him in his second ever amateur fight, but Gravely was able to get that revenge a couple fights later on the amateur ranks. Uh, but then when you look at his professional career, you're seeing guys like Alon Cruz, uh, you're seeing Pat Sabatini, um, there's another one that's just escaping me at this moment in time. Uh, Danny Sabatello, uh, Mike Kimball, highly touted Bellator prospect, uh, who he actually ended up beating that night. If you guys go back and watch that fight, uh, all you'll ever hear the commentary team talk about is Mike Kimball, and then Demond Blackshear goes out there and spoils the party, even though he was a close uh, to a minus 200 favorite that night. Uh, Chris Moutinho is another guy that's on his record who he actually has a loss to. Not a good look in terms of what, especially what we've been seeing from Moutinho as of late. Uh, and then lastly, like I said, he did uh, get a submission victory over Alan Cruz in a five-round fight uh, where he got to finish in the fourth round back in June of 2017. The guy seems to be solid all around, right? Like, he seems to have a decent striking game with good power. He has some obviously some jiu-jitsu up his sleeve, as we've seen with a couple of his rear naked choke finishes. But I'm still really struggling to grasp where he is best at. Like, I'm not 100% sure what his strong suit really is, and I'm hoping that you can shed some light on that. But in terms of a prop that I like for this matchup, again, I'm acting like it's not even happening, but I do see one thing that seems to be a constant with these guys more often than not, and that's fights going to a decision, right? Like, they they do have a couple of submission victories on the record, but I think based on how these guys match up with one another, another we'll see this at the judges' scorecards. Fight goes to decision currently sits around minus 190 to minus 205, depending on what book you're getting. Um, uh, even though over two and a half at minus 230, maybe a possible parlay piece if you want some real degener degeneracy action in terms of a method of victory and fighter that I'm going to go with. I'll go with Zalal by decision at plus 140, but just not the most confident in it. Luke, do you have any, uh, you know, convicted takes for this matchup or anything more that you can offer up? Honestly, I'm pretty much in lockstep with you and almost ah, everything. It. <laughs> it's, it's one of the matchups on the card that I don't really feel passionate about either way. I yeah. mean, if Zalal got to like dog money, I'd probably have some interest there just based on Blackshear coming in on short notice. Zalal being more battle tested. I think the move down to 135 is probably going to be good for him, you know, despite losing those decisions to, you know, Woodson and Choi. Both of those guys are on the massive end of 145, yeah, too, I think, which needs to be noted. And then, you know, obviously, Tapori is a, an animal, too, which I still think Zalal did show some good things in that fight, too. So I think there is some context to his recent losing skid, too, um, yeah. where this actually, in theory, even at a short favorite price, might be a good buy low spot uh, mm -hmm. on Zalal potentially. But to your point, like, 
stylistically in this fight, it's just kind of tough for me. You know, Zalal kind of a lower volume outside dance around pot shot type of guy might mix in some takedowns. And I think that's where he will give Blackshear some issues because Blackshear tends to need guys to kind of stand in front of him. He's shown some power capabilities, you know, not a ton of knockouts, but he has, I think, dropped like two of his last four opponents or something like that. So the guy's shown some explosive components of his game. I just, I just don't think Zalal is going to be a guy who's going to stand in front of him. So I don't think Blackshear is going to be able to get off on volume for free. So I like Zalal in the standup, but we have seen Zalal kind of struggle with some more physical guys in the past. And despite going down a weight, I actually think Blackshear is actually physically stronger than Zalal. And I think he still is going to struggle maybe a little bit in this matchup with some of the grinding. And I would more so lean to Blackshear with more general wrestling and grappling upside. And we just know that Zalal can fight close, you know, in a lot of yeah. fights just based on his general style. So hard to have much confidence really in him, but I am in lockstep with you as well, um, no pun intended, on the um, on the props as well. I think the fight goes is the, the best way to go. You know, it is chalky, but to your point, neither guy's been finished. Both guys, like I said, it's based on how Zalal fights, limits damage. I think he eats like less than two and a half significant strikes per minute. So he's not a guy who's going to get volumed up. He survived really deep submission attempts against Temporia, who's a sound black belt. Blackshear has shown pretty much solid durability to date. He's gotten out of any sort of compromising grappling positions I've seen him put in. So, yeah, this fight just speaks over to me. And, yeah, I laid actually a pretty heavy price on the over two and a half. I played 215 for like three units. I just oh, wow. I don't think this fight finishes at much of a rate. I think it should probably be closer to like the 80 percent indication, to be honest. But so all by decision is is uh, my official prediction. I don't hate it. Uh, again, I really don't hate it. And I made one of the biggest mistakes in Yusuf's uh, UFC debut against Austin Lingo by taking the under two and a half in that fight, just because I thought the the dynamic that Austin Lingo brought into that fight would have caused uh, a finish. But uh, yeah, it, it was rough, uh, especially considering how much uh, Zalal was like diving for legs and, and going for takedowns in that fight. So learned my lesson and likely won't be taking that shot ever again on Zalal's fights inside the distance all right let us move on to the next fight here we're going to be talking about uh a fight that was moved over from last week it's taking place at the 180 pound uh catch weight now uh, we got jason witt going up against josh quinlan in terms of odds we're currently looking at minus 280 on quinlan and plus 235 the return on jason witt uh i'll let you kick this one off man um have your thoughts at all changed from last week given this change uh of of location and and fight card or are you sticking with your same breakdown that you had going into it uh, in terms of my general breakdown and sentiment that hasn't changed on the fight the only thing that has changed is now quinlan is in second time confirmed cheater and long time steroid <laughs> user <laughs> having those having those john jones specific metabolites in your system in your system says i have been on the gas for like five plus years now so <laughs> that's the one that's the one different change that yeah mr Mr. Clemens cheater um, confirmed now, but I mean, my general sentiment on the fight hasn't changed much. Um, I think wit is live in the capacity that he is the best fighter that I think Quinlan has fought to date in the sense of the, the wrestling perspective. You can say what you want about Jason wit guys, a good wrestler. He's, he's physically strong. You know, he's shown he can go out there and win, win rounds, multiple rounds, you know, with his wrestling Quinlan's defensive wrestling hasn't been tested a ton. He has been taken down a few times, but he's been able to, you know, sweep and reverse position or stand up, but against a pretty lower, you know, level of regional competition. So I think that is interesting, but 
even in that grinding game that Whit plays, he's he gets tired, uh, you know, as well playing that game. Uh, what I will say, though, he is processed in terms of largely being able to stick to it. So I think from that perspective, we're actually going to learn a lot about Quinlan. But the problem is, is that Jason Witt's durability just is not there. So he's a guy who can be going out there and looking good, you know, and in winning minutes, potentially winning rounds. But he's live to die at any time. And, you know, the Barbarina fight's a pretty good example of that. Obviously, he didn't officially go out, but he was up, you know, two rounds in that fight and damn near got finished in the third, was on skates for the large bulk of it. In my opinion, that fight should have been a draw personally. Yeah. Um, but then we obviously saw him get knocked out early by Semmelsberger, knocked out early by Sato. There just isn't a ton of process on the feet. And that's the one thing with Quinlan. Guy hits hard. He hits hard. So it's just hard for me to trust Wit and kind of think he's he's a trap by the number spot there. So from a prop perspective, how much value is on this? I'm not really sure. But Quinlan by knockout right around evens, I think, is probably just the best way to go. If you want to take your blood pressure medication with decision plus 360, I is juicy. But if you're going to bet it, it's one of those things you, you got to know what you're getting into with Jason Witt, right? Like, you know, he cleanly won the first round off of Phil Rowe and then, you know, you gauge, right? Yeah. Like that, that's just kind of how it goes with him. So, um, but if you're, if you're looking to bet Quinlan in general, if you're even not looking in the prop route, I wouldn't lay minus 280 on him pre-fight. I would just wait because there's a decent chance. I think Witt does win the first round here and you might get a much better live money line number uh, on Quinlan too. So that would be my advice there. But gun to my head, I don't trust Witt's durability plus money on Quinlan knockout, the most likely outcome of the fight. That That's what I would do small. Yeah, I'm right there with you as well. Like I, I do like the, uh, the, the power that Quinlan brings to the table. My concern is the um, like – should if he's not fully on the juice nowadays, does he still translate that power into the UFC? We know he has a little bit of his in, in his system still, but I'm sure it's not to the levels that he had pre UFC. So will that have an impact on his ability to finish this fight? We'll find out this weekend, right? And he's getting a pretty easy test in terms of what finding out whether that works out or not, because wit, you know, it's just, it just doesn't look good. He can go out there and be winning a fight for a round and a half, get clipped on the chin, and then it's just night, night, it's done. Right. But we've seen, you know, complete opposites from him. We've seen him take damage from Brian Barbarina and make it to the 15 minute mark, right? That fight arguably could have been stopped at any point, right? Shout out to that OG movement from uh, oh, Jason Witt during that fight to have his mouthpiece knocked out, pick it back up, putting it into his mouth without the ref <laughs> even stopping the fight and still eating punches. Like if he had gotten knocked out from that exchange, I think James Cross would have kicked him out of the gym to, to, to begin with. But um, yeah, it, very easy fight to break down. Jason Witt either gets these to, uh, fights to the ground and controls them from on top. Although, like you said, we have seen some decent things in the jiu-jitsu realm from the Quinlan side. So I'm not counting out that Quinlan is automatically, you know, we got to X him off and rip up our tickets if we have him uh, bet or parlayed or anything like that. Because he ha still has a, the ability to go out there and, and win fights in the third round. We've seen him do that as well. Again, level of competition, a little bit sketchy compared to what you get with Jason Witt. But he should still be able to go out there and get that win. I get where you're coming from in regards to the um, the KO prop here on uh, Quinlan, which, like you said, it's around even money. I would feel slightly better maybe taking just the inside of the distance. Uh, then again, I'm seeing minus 150-ish. Um, I see minus 120 on DraftKings. I'm not sure if that uh, that's accurate based on uh, best fight odds. But 
I think there's a possibility of a club in some situation, right? Shout out to the podcast. But like, I feel like uh, I do think he could potentially hurt him, get him to the ground and maybe just uh, find a submission from on top. I don't want to get caught with my hand in the cookie jar either. Uh, you know, just strictly taking the even money on the KO prop. So um, I would suggest the inside the distance more than anything, but I think the most likely outcome is he just starches him on the feet and gets him out of there. So um, largely in agreements with my guy, Luke, for this fight. All right, let's move on to the next one here. Curious to hear your thoughts on this one. We got a men's flyweight bout between O'Day Osborne and Tyson Nam. In terms of odds, we're currently getting minus 250 on O'Day and plus 210 to return on Tyson Nam. This is one of those fights where I just, I wish we weren't seeing that 37, 38-year-old number beside Tyson Nam's name because I feel like if we got him maybe a couple years earlier, I'd feel a little bit more confident taking this big plus money shot on him, right? Very experienced, uh, you know, has way more experience than what O'Day Osborne brings to the table. And not to mention experience, but high-level experience, right? This guy's been fighting the best guys at the lower weight class uh, for years now. You know, he he splashed onto that scene by uh, by knocking out Eduardo Dantas back in, um, it wasn't even Bellator, but Dantas was the Bellator champion at that time, which is why Tyson Nam got so much acclaim back then. Um, obviously, eventually made it to the UFC. Um, before that, was able to knock out Ali Bagutinov on the regional scene as well. Uh, I th- if I'm not mistaken, he was likely down in that fight and then just hit that head kick right at the end and got the finish there. So that just goes to show like how much power this guy has in his his strikes, not just his hands, but his strikes, like his kicks too. Um, 12 out of his 20 wins coming via knockout, which is usually unheard of at these lower weight classes, but that's what we're getting with with Tyson M. Uh, he's been off for a little while now due to an ACL surgery, I believe. He had to repair his knee, uh, but since then, he's been working over there in Hawaii with Max Holloway's coaches. So let's see what those guys are going to be able to do for him. Oday Osborne seems like a I get it. He has, uh, I believe he has 15 fights on his professional MMA career now, but he still feels like he's a little bit green to me. Like he still feels like he has a, a little bit of rawness and he's been getting away on his physical attributes more than anything. You know, he has power in his hands. He has some slick uh, submissions as well when he's able to get the guys to the ground. But we see in the CJ Vergara fight, you know, if he's not able to get guys out of there, he starts to slow a little bit and guys are able to put the pace on him late. And, uh, you know, maybe not get him out of there. Like CJ Vergara, he made some fight IQ, you know, weird. I think he took him down in that third round when he knew he had to go out there and finish him. I'm like, hey, like, should have kept this on the feet and you could have overwhelmed him. Somebody that could overwhelm him is Tyson Nam. Like, we saw Tyson Nam down two rounds against Matt Schnell uh, going into that third round. And although he didn't knock him out there, he gave it his best effort in terms of moving forward and throwing big strikes. It's on the table that Tyson Nam could clip Ode Osborne late, right? Ode has that low hand st- or low hand stance, uh, likes to throw the you know spinning stuff and kicks a lot, but he does leave his chin a little bit exposed, which is where I think that Tyson Amp could potentially clip him and uh, could clip him and get him out of there. Tyson Amp by KO is currently sitting around plus 500, but if you want to get a little bit greedier, Nam in round three currently sits at plus 1800, which I might take a little bit of a sprinkle on. Um, like, O'Day should win this fight by just touching him up for the first two rounds and then surviving that third. But, like, I'm not of the belief that Nam, uh, O'Day is 100% going to be able to go out there and get the finish of his own, right? Last time Nam got put out, 2013, by the uh, wonderful streak of that World Series of Fighting version of Marlon Moraes that we were used to and hyped about coming into the UFC. Didn't really pan out the way I expected it to. But, you know, 
that was the last time we've ever seen Tyson Nam get finished. Can O'Day Osborne recreate that? I'm not fully on board with that. I don't think so. I think we'll see a good effort from Tyson Nam here, but I think he's very live to go out there and get a finish in that third round. So uh, round three, Nam plus 1,800 would be my favorite prop for this card or for this fight. Um, otherwise, O'Day decision is probably what I would lean on. What about yourself? Am I giving Nam too much credit here, or are you seeing what I'm seeing as well? No, I definitely get it from some perspective. Like, I am not a part of, like, the Osborne truth crowd personally. Like, I think there's, to your point, there's just a lot of green components about his game. The guy comes from a wrestling background, but I don't think I've ever even seen him in top position in his entire <laughs> career. So there's a massive question there. Um, obviously, perennial early finisher. We've seen very little of him extended. You referenced the Vergara fight. When we did, it didn't look particularly encouraging. He fights with his hands down pretty consistently. Um, there's just a lot of, a lot of questions on him at the UFC level in general, which is why, you know, I'm not laying over two to one on Ode Osborne against pretty much anybody at this point until I get a lot more questions answered on his overall game. The problem with Nam is he's just a one dimensional power puncher who just doesn't do much else. Like I, his work rate is just way too inconsistent for my liking, especially at a division like flyweight, like. Your work rate just needs to be much higher and we've seen it like throughout the course of his entire career he just does not step on the gas enough in extended fights and waits to get before you know like you said the schnell fight where he kind of came on a little bit later it's but there's just not the consistent work rate from tyson nam that i would like to see and couple with that he just doesn't make any mid-fight adjustments like he's just going to go out there and you know pretty much do what he's going to do win or lose it's like if the shot comes if it doesn't he's like kind of just renowned to go out there and get out pointed. So it's like, that's my thing, at least in like looking, taking a big dog shot. It's outside of the fact that he's 38 now is not particularly encouraging either. It's like, I need a lot more sense of urgency um, from my guy, you know, Tyson Nam to go out there and have any sort of supreme degree of confidence in him. But like I said, I have my own issues with O'Day Osborne as well. And Nam does hit hard for the weight class and, Osborne does fight with his hands down. Haven't seen him overtly tested in distance exchanges very much outside of that flying knee by cop. I do think he was winning the fight prior to getting caught in that scenario, but nonetheless, lots of questions on both sides, which makes it very difficult from a prop perspective. Um, but I am going to lean on the Tyson Nam durability side, just because like you said, he hasn't been knocked out in 10 years. So despite getting older, for me to say that his chin is gone or it's regressed, like, I mean, there's just no evidence that it has. Obviously, Osborne's much faster, much explosive, so he definitely could go out there and flatline him. But I would more just look to the over around evens or Osborne by decision at like plus 200 or so and go anti-violence. But I think you can also just make a valid argument that Ode Osborne is an under machine based on his style and then you just blind bet Ode Osborne unders. I think that's a valid argument too. So uh, this is going to be one of the main fights on the entire uh, slate that I don't feel really great about my prop selection, but I would risk it for the biscuit and, and lean on that NAM durability and go with anti-violence. Yeah. Uh, as long as uh, O'Day doesn't hit uh, Tyson Nam with the knee or anything like that. I think I think we should be fine in this spot. But I do like. Uh, I, I am hoping that the age is kind of just, uh, you know, j just uh, just something that we we were we might be laying too much uh, into 
and I'm hoping that Tyson Nam can actually go out there and, and get a solid win here. Like I for more so the exposing the Ode Osborne side of things, right? Like I don't understand why he's such a big favorite in this spot. It's like goes out there, he gets a finish. Okay, that's what we're gonna see it throughout this card, right? There's a lot of big favorites that shouldn't be big favorites because they're able to go out there and lay out violence and damage on guys. But can we guarantee that they're gonna do it every single time? He didn't do it against CJ Vergara. I mean, he did it against Rugadash. Okay, cool. But like now he's taking another step up in competition in Tyson Nam, who again we we I, I wish there was more in terms of substance with his output and his volume, and that would likely favor him a little bit more. Maybe Max Holloway's coaches can like fucking put a burner under his ass and say, "Hey, look, this is how we got this guy to the title. You got to go out there and do the same thing, put some punches together, throw more than 50, 50 strikes per round, and you can be successful. We'll see how it goes, but I'm hoping I can cash my plus eighteen hundred ticket on that round three because that'll be sweet all right let's move on to the next one here we're going to be talking about Mowgli Benitez going up against Charlie Ontiveros in terms of odds we're looking at minus 330 on Gabriel Benitez and plus 275 on everybody's fade everybody's favorite fade Charlie Ontiveros Luke I'll let you kick this one off my friend are you on the fade Ontiveros train this weekend at heavy chalk or are you going to give him some uh you know give him some love here considering the price tag that he's at I am going to give Ontiveros a little bit of credit just because Benitez, he has been knocked out in three of his last four losses. He is going up to 155 pounds for this fight. He's going to be at a massive size disadvantage. And Ontiveros is a guy who's going to go out there and maximize his win equity for better or for worse. So, I mean, if Benitez doesn't go out there and mind his P's and Q's, Ontiveros is live, right? And that's why from a prop perspective, like Ontiveros round one plus 800, I think is an God interesting sprinkle. God damn it, Luke. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to overlook that one because I wanted to surprise people with that one. But go ahead. <laughs> Lay it on him. Lay it on him. Just, just because he has the, the, he has the Jordan Wright syndrome. He is a glass <laughs> cannon. He's, he is a glass cannon, right? He's going to go out yeah. there and go nuts, throw unorthodox stuff, flying knees, axe kicks, throw from weird angles, right? Like I said, he's a big guy. Yeah. But that's where the bulk of his fin a win equity is coming, you know, is in round one. And that's where we're going to get this chaos from him. So I understand that he's like plus 275 on the money line. It's like, oh, look, you're getting, you know, greedy or whatever. Just take on of arrows there or whatever. But it's like plus 800 for the guy's pretty much win equity. And despite me, you know, sounding like I'm on the Ontivero side, I'm not. I, re I really do think it's a levels fight, though. Gabriel Benita should not lose this fight. He is just much more skilled than this guy in pretty much every single capacity. Um, he hits incredibly hard. He's an opportunistic, opportunistic submission grappler. He's actually shown he can win minutes in general, let alone at a UFC level where Charlie Antaveros has not shown that. I don't think Charlie Antaveros is a UFC caliber fighter. Um, like I said, there are some red flags on the Benitez side as well um, where I'm not running to the window you, you know, to lay over minus 300 on it. Um, I was a juice boy on this one though. And I did lay, um, three units on the under one and a half at minus two fifteen, And that's taken a decent amount of state. I would just be shocked either way. If this fight gets past seven and a half minutes based on the, on the style that in, like I said, because I am still giving some credence to, to Anaveros given, given the size, uh, discrepancy and Benitez durability, potentially, you know, waning at this point, you know, you, you gotta give these these like round one meme-ish type guys, you know, they're, they're due. If you don't respect them, they can finish you regardless, you know, how skilled they are uh, or not. So 
give me give me violence i think the fight doesn't go it's an interesting parlay piece but you know long shot on run one plus 800 is a is a nice little sprinkle yeah i'm still waiting for that prop to open up on like DraftKings and FanDuel and all that stuff i think it's really only on a bet online where we can get that round one on Tavero's prop uh oh. it seems like betway has it as well right now but i'm not sure why they're taking so long to drop full props on this fight when they pretty much have it for every single fight but i think you hit the nail on the head in regards to uh uh, the Jordan Wright comparison. I'd call him like the poor man's Jordan Wright, which is like an even more spin in the face, <laughs> face of anything, right? Like we know <laughs> what Jordan Wright brings to the table. First round or bust, that's really it. And it's come through every single fucking time in the UFC. Whereas Charlie Ontivero still has yet to pick up his first UFC victory, although he's only had two. He can go out there and just sneak that one KO into this UFC career of his and then just ride off into the sunset and be like, hey, I got my hand raised inside the UFC. That is enough legitimacy for me. Uh, and, and this is a spot for him to do it, right? We're talking about a Gabriel Benitez who's been put out in his last three of four losses. Not a good look. Like, you know, it, it does seem to be like his uh, durability, which is something that he used to rely on earlier in his UFC career, is starting to diminish. And now you're putting up a big dude in front of him with a lot of power. And we saw it on display against Steve Garcia. It could potentially be on display here against Gabriel Benitez. Um, the best way for Benitez to approach this would be the takedowns, right? Go for the takedowns, try to get this guy to the ground, and just just murk him on the ground. That's absolutely in play here. But how can we say that with much confidence considering Benitez's lack of ability or lack of wanting to take fights to the ground? You know, he doesn't shoot often. I think it was like 0.14 uh, takedowns per 15 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. But you got to believe, given his run that he's on, knowing that he's possibly on the chopping block as well, make this fight as easy as possible, get it to the ground, and you'll be able to find your success from on top. Um, again, I'm a big Gabriel Benitez guy. I, I paid major chalk on him against Justin James. Um, but I, I think this is one where he could potentially slip up and Ontiveros is able to get that round one KO. The the spot that I'd go, which I think is safest, I think you nailed it with the under one and a half. I know it's chalky, but I'd be surprised if it goes over that seven and a half minute mark. But just to be even safer, like parlaying, the fight doesn't go to decision at minus 400. I don't think you can go wrong on that. There's another fight later on this card where we can parlay a chalky fight doesn't go to decision and you can possibly get a decent enough number on that. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll go fight doesn't go to decision as my favorite bet for this, but I will definitely be sprinkling that on Tavares round three at plus 800. Like if it was closer to plus 200, plus 300, then it's an obvious pass, but you're giving me like a legitimate number on his only win condition really, right? Like I will never forgive myself for passing on uh abdul razak al-hassan plus 500 round one against alessio di Crico. like what was i thinking like, that is his only win condition like are we all of a sudden off the abdul razak al-hassan train because he got grinded out in his fight prior to that like what that's that just shows you how like even we can get and fall victim to it as well sometimes is the uh the the recency bias and the what have you done for me lately nature of the whole betting game um but we try to stay away from those spots we try to take the whole picture into account and then make our decisions based off of that and in that aspect the al hassan against the Rico fight i should have taken the first round like i did it with Otman azatar against kama worthy i got plus 300 on him to win in round one and i felt really good about that and was able to cash that as well um I don't want to miss my opportunity here on Ontiveros round one plus 800. I'm fully expecting to rip up that ticket, but I feel the price tag is worthy of me in, in doing that. But Gabriel Benitez should win this fight. Maybe even Gabriel round two, early round two, uh, plus 550, not bad. 
Uh, Benitez round one plus 110. But yeah, let's go on to Viros round one, baby. Let's go. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about Nina Nunes versus Cynthia Calvillo. This is the other fight that I was talking about, Luke, where I'm like, I want nothing to do with this, and uh, I'm going to act like it's not on the card. Um, you know, Calvillo, uh, it's going to be hard for me to forgive her for quitting on the stool against Andrea motherfucking Lee, right? Like, I really thought she'd be able to, like, either land takedowns or have more um, urgency to go for uh, takedowns and go to her grappling, but she just got beat the hell up on the feet, ultimately quit on the stool going into round three. Um and then on the flip side for uh, for Nina Nunes, uh, you know, we saw her come back in phenomenal shape after giving birth. Uh, her first fight back was against Mackenzie Dern. Tough stylistic matchup, especially with Dern eventually being able to get that takedown and get that armbar going. Um, I, like just based off Cynthia's last performance alone, it's almost like blacklisted. You know what I mean? Like, Nina Nunes is not totally blacklisted, which is why I don't mind if anybody wanted to make a case for her plus 160, which is the line that she's currently at. Maybe she ekes this one out by chipping away at her. She has some quality wins on her record. She's actually gone a full 50 minutes with, in my opinion, the best the best strawweight in the world, which is Tatiana Suarez. She went the full 15 there, uh, dealt with that grappling pretty easily uh, in terms of defensively speaking, I should say. But, like, the overs probably the way to go here. Minus 230, minus 260 is kind of what you're, you'll be looking at. And then, obviously, in terms of the specific fighter, uh, Nunes by decision plus 225 is the way that I'd go. But just like the DeMond Blackstrand's use of Salah fight, I'm staying away from this one. What about yourself? Do you have any convicted take one way or the other? No, it's a spy. This is like the this is the 1-800-GAMBLER fight of the card for me. Um, obviously, it's a prop show, so we got to give we got to give the people something here. Um but it's just so hard to trust both girls. I mean, you, you, yeah. you kind of ran through it with Calvillo, you know, quitting on the stool, Calvillo getting away from her wrestling, Nunes having the baby recently. She's a lot older at 36, 37. And I put out a tweet like it was, uh, I think it was before the original booking of the matchup, like when I was getting ready to do research on it and just rolling through the topology for Calvillo. I'm like, Cynthia Calvillo's 34 years old? Like, I don't I know, know why. Like, right. That that yeah, like, tripped me out too. Like I thought one of the one of the big spots for her, like earlier earlier in her career, was everybody's like, she's so young, she's so young. Like, how the fuck are you 34 all of a sudden? Yeah, like I don't know why. I had I had this notion she was like 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 early, early, like late 20s at least. Yeah. And I was like, oh Jesus, she's 34. <laughs> so I just thought that was kind of uh interesting. But yeah, my point is that it's just it's hard to trust Calvillo, it's hard to trust Nunez. And, and one of the things with Nunez is even when she fought. Mackenzie Dern, like historically, her takedown defense has largely been pretty decent. And then Dern took her down really without much issue. And Dern lands takedowns at like less than 10%. Like her getting subbed by Dern is forgivable, right? But yeah, the fact that Mackenzie was able to take her down that easily, it was like, oh, oh boy. Right. And so that's kind of my thing with this matchup. Like if if Calvillo gets back to her roots, you know, she's corrected some things the coaches get back in her head we saw Corey mckenna another fellow team alpha male girl get back to what she needed to do in her last fight so if the coaches kind of you know tell her to pull her head out of her ass and she's going to use some fight iq she goes out here gets back to her base wrestles um i think she's probably going to go out here and look her price but can i project her to do that based on what we have in recent years I don't know about that. And if she doesn't, I think Nunez is the better striker and probably wins the decision. But 
I am going to say, just in the variance capacity, that Calvillo does get back to her roots and she submits Nunez, which is like plus 450, plus 350. Not a bad price tag, actually. Yeah. Like I said, my take is if she if she does get back to her roots, I think she's going to accrue a lot of top time. She has multiple submission wins in the UFC. My bad. Um, we we saw we saw her uh, get into Mount and you know ten eight Marina Rodriguez. So I mean I guess you could buy down and maybe take a little bit of the inside the distance or something, which is two fifty. But I don't know. It's a spot where I'd probably get a little bit greedy on and look for that Calvillo submission plus four fifty. You know if if you're trying to if you're trying to get dicey, it's just a fight because I don't have a ton of a degree of confidence in either girl. Like if I was to bet it as a whole, I want. I want big plus money, right? Like just because I'm already playing into so much variance as it is. So give me, give me Calvillo by submission uh, plus four fifty. Seems like Alfred has uh, Nina Nunes here, unfortunately, but we'll see if that works out for one of them. I just want this fight to be over with. Hopefully, it doesn't get canceled again because I cannot stand talking about it for another time. Yeah. Fuck no. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about uh, tough, or sorry, uh, contender series alumni here. Uh, Martin Budai coming in at minus 280, plus 235, the return on Lucas Brzezeski. I'll let you kick this one off, my friend. What are you What are you thinking here? What are you leaning? I've heard some disrespect on my guy, Martin Budai, during all, all the fight week. But what are your thoughts for this matchup? Uh, honestly, I don't think either are particularly UFC caliber fighters, but in going back and doing the tape study on it, I do think it's actually a pretty good spot for Boudet. I kind of think he almost has him covered, actually, despite me not thinking anything like overtly high on him. Like, Berzeski has been able to win fights later, but he has about like four to five minutes of cardio, which might even be generous. Um, his fights often tend to turn sloppy. I think Boudet's pacing is a bit more consistent. I think his hardware is a bit better. He is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. You know, we haven't seen a ton of it, but, you know, he has shown some offensive wrestling upside. He's got that big cage push, you know, so he can slow fights down if he needs to. And that's the one thing I do like about Boudet is, like, he does seem reasonably processed and does have minute, like, consistent minute-winning ability at heavyweight instead of just being, you know, necessarily a round one guy. I know he's got a lot of round one finishes in there too, but we have seen, you know, some extended fights for him as well. So he's got power. He's shown he can win minutes. He, you know, he's the better wrestler grappler in this matchup. Um, but because I do think Berzeski can compete early here and does have at least five or ish minutes of gas, um, I do think he uh, hangs on here, but from a prop perspective, I'm going to throw out kind of like two two as a hedge. You got Boudet wins in round two, plus 550. Boudet round three, plus 1,000. Split your exposure there. I would obviously lean more to the round two probably because I think, you know, Berzeski's going to start having some troubles. But I do think it does go over uh, as well. So I look at it more as like a late second round, potentially third round finish for, for Boudet. Yeah, I, I like I get it. They look sloppy. You know, I mean, they they're not the the high. They're no Cyril gone, right? I I completely understand that. But I think that Budai could actually make some noise in this UFC division if his durability holds up. 
right? The guy eats shots like fucking whatever they eat in Slovakia, and then he moves forward and and keeps putting the pressure on these guys, right? I love his ability to move forward, take a little bit of damage, but throw in combinations to keep his opponent on their back foot, and then he pushes them up against the cage and just fucks them up there, right? Beautiful knees up the middle. He broke one of Chris Barnett's ribs with one of those knees as well, if I'm not mistaken. Like, the guy puts relentless pressure on his opponents, and he seems to have the cardio to do so. He's never, like, I don't think I've ever seen the guy take a back step, which is what I love to see in a fighter. And that automatically makes the other guys just start moving backwards. Like, I don't think that Lucas Brzezinski is going to be able to get that respect from Budai here where he's not going to be on his back foot the entire time. Uh, Brzezinski, we've seen him slow down time and time again in fights. Luckily for him, he's been fighting tomato cans on his, on his side of the world. And that, you know... Won't really help him once he actually starts fighting some resistance like he's going to be getting here in Martin Budai. Um, I, again, you know, maybe I have my rose-colored glasses on, but I really think that Budai could crack that top 10 of the heavyweight division just given his style alone. If he can go out there and continuously break guys, he's going to be a very tough night for a lot of guys. And Brzezinski, that guy will be out of the UFC by this time next year, maybe even earlier, because I think he's absolute dog shit. Like the guy, he has, sure, he has big power early and he might have a slight... I, you know what? I wouldn't even say he has a technical striking advantage either. He just has, he's just taller than him. That's like the only advantage he has in this fight. Uh, he might be able to clip him with something, but everything that I've seen from Budai, this guy's in bombs in the past and continues to move forward without any hesitation or even flinching. Uh, his only loss on his record to Juan Espino way back in the day. Uh, so not a bad loss on him uh, with his record. But the guy looks very difficult to deal with. I think he breaks Brzezinski as well. And that's why my favorite prop, I actually dropped on the Action Network's uh, Prop Squad article for this week as well, is uh, plus 400 uh, Budai in round two. I don't think Brzezinski has enough to go out there in round uh, to, to survive 10 minutes with Budai in there and and actually see the, the third round. I think that we see Budai slowly chip away at him in that first round, turn it up a little bit in that second round, and then get him out. Uh, that's why I'm a little bit iffy about the over one and a half because I think that finish could come at any point at one and a half. So, uh, yeah, I love uh, I, I love Budai in the spot. I Again, most people have been talking shit about this fight. I'm excited for Budai. Like, I really think that guy has what it takes to be in the top 10 of the UFC if his durability holds up. Uh, and I think he's going to be a lot of trouble for a lot of people. So hopefully he can continue this this run that he's on, you know, follow up that Chris Barnett dismantling with uh, a complete wipeout of Lucas Brzezinski this week. Hopefully he holds off at it in that first round, gets us to the second round and gets him out of there in that second yeah, round. But, yeah. yeah, there you go, bro. You can add you can add Boudet to the uh, the 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 simping with with Manpreet crew with Ampelayev. Uh, <laughs> just just add, add him in there as one of your boys. Fuck it, let's go. Somebody somebody <laughs> make a meme or a gif of that shit of just Boudet and Uncle Live carrying me on their shoulders or something like that. <laughs> That'll be fucking dope. Uh, but yeah, well, let's go. Let's go. Budai, Budai round two. I don't see any issues with it. Uh, I think you said Fandua has plus five fifty right now. Even better of a line if you guys are able to get it on Fanduel, but uh, even plus four hundred, I think, is more than enough value considering how I see this fight going. But that's going to break this guy. All right, um, let us move on. I think there, no, nope, there is not a special prop for this one. We have a couple fights with special cloud bet props for them, uh, and one of them is going to be coming up very shortly. But let's just get into this next fight here. It is actually for the next fight. Uh, we're going to be talking about a 120-pound catchweight belt between Angela Hill and Lupita Godinez. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 
once oh sorry minus 325 for Lupita Godinez plus 270 for Angela Hill now I created this narrative earlier this week on my show in regards to why they moved this fight to San Diego and why they moved it up you know however many weeks that they moved it up because I thought this fight was supposed to take place in October or something if I'm not mistaken they move it up to to, to August here specifically San Diego look wh- where is Angela Hill from I believe California. I don't know specifically San Diego. But. Chula Vista, which I believe is just south of San Diego. So let's call it San Diego. Let's say she's from San Diego. Uh, Luke, how many fights in a row has Angela Hill lost? A lot. Hmm. She is creeping up on a 13 and 13 record right now. <laughs> like that is not a good look at all. She's getting up there in age. If I'm not mistaken, she's like 37, 38 years old. So the narrative that I've created this week is the reason they moved it up to this card, specifically San Diego, is that knowing that if and when Angela Hill ends up losing this fight, she will likely leave her gloves in the cage to pursue that commentating and analyst gig that she's been getting with ESPN, uh, you know, continuing on with that podcast that she has with Jessica Penne. I think she wants this to be her farewell song or her swan swung, swan swung, her swan song. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, UFC doing her no favors by giving her an opponent like Lupita Godinez as well. So uh, I, I really think that uh, Angie Hill has that retirement thing on her mind going into this fight. And I think when lose or draw, she'll likely hang it up because it's the perfect scenario for her to do it in front of that San Diego crowd. Like when was the last time the UFC went to San Diego? It's been a long fucking time. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that she'll give us probably one of her best performances to date, but I still don't think that's going to be enough for her to go out there and beat a girl like Lupita Godinez. Lupi showed, you know, you know, f- with flying colors last time around against Ariane uh, Carnalosi, why she should be taken seriously. And I think that we'll continue to see that this weekend against Angela Hill. You know, if Verna Jandiroba is landing takedowns on you in rounds two and three, think about what Lupita Godinez is going to be doing to you as well. Um, I, I'm kind of stumped between the method of victory here for loopy like i could see her potentially getting a submission i could see her potentially getting some finish uh, uh time and opportunities from on top but i could absolutely see the same thing in terms of her going out there and grinding this fight out the only reason i'm not fully on board with the loopy by decision prop is the uh you know again this is mma math and mma math normally doesn't work i get it verna jenny robo was not able to submit angela hill you know who was <laughs> random fucking marcos if you know, it, it, it's the same thing with Takashi Sato and Gunnar Nelson, right? Gunnar Nelson wasn't able to submit him, but we saw Blah Muhammad, who doesn't finish anybody, able to submit Takashi Sato as well. So dealing with the diverse grappling approach that you're going to be getting from Loopy here, I think finishing opportunities could present themselves. But what I'm going to end up doing here is just eating the chalk on her. Like I'll I'll likely be parlaying her with the Antiveros and Benitez fight doesn't go to decision. But uh, yeah, like I I, I think. I think all props on the loopy side are absolutely live in this spot. The only way Angie wins this fight, you know, this stays a kickboxing fight for 50 minutes and she outstrikes her and outvolumes her and wins a decision, which I think is very unlikely. Uh, just to give you guys an idea, hell by decision, currently sitting at plus 350. I don't see in that come to fruition. Loopy would have to be, uh, a, a, you know, fucked up in the head i'll try to say it as as nicely as i can to not go out there and try to get this fight to the ground so uh give me loopy i'm gonna say loopy decision but not with much confidence just go out there and parlay loopy or if you want to pay the chalk straight up go ahead and pay the chalk straight up i don't see her losing this fight in any shape or form what about you luke what are you liking here 
Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you as well. I think it's just a bad style matchup for Angela Hill. I Honestly, I think in a lot of ways she has been a bit underrated. Like she has went out there and competed in multiple fights and, you know, unfortunately not for my bankroll. I had her by plus, or I had her plus 300 by decision against uh, Claudia Gadelia, split decision. I had her against Michelle Watterson, split decision. Then I had her like plus 475 by You're going decision. Going down with the boat or what? You going Amanda down with the boat? <laughs> what I'm saying is no, I'm not jumping off. I'm jumping off the boat before I have a, a brain aneurysm, a heart attack or a combination <laughs> uh, of both. I, I, I just think it's a bad matchup for her to win minutes. I think Godinez, despite Hill fighting a lot of good girls over the years, I think Godinez is the best pure wrestler that she's fought to date. You know, she's pretty consistent to be active in shooting. Her control components are good. Um, with that, obviously Hill needs, you know, high pressure, um, you know, volume based game to really get off and i just don't think that that is in play given the style that godinez has i am on the side of godinez decision just because i mean i understand your point she did get submitted by marcos but i am of the opinion that if she can go out there and survive some of the positions she did with a quality black belt and vernon jandaroba that she can survive the positions against purple belt godinez she also took the best shots of amanda lamos who's one of the hardest hitters in the division but like you said if there's the scenario that Hill is checked out or something. I mean, Godinez could finish, but I think skill-wise, I do think Hill's ground game has leveled up enough to not get submitted. Like I said, she's proven incredibly durable as well. I just think loopy, grinding, wrestling-based decision, not a hot take, but um, I think she's just going to cleanly win minutes and grind around over uh, 15. So loopy by points, minus 150, I think is a good look. I love it. Uh, before we move on to the next one, I'll give you... What are the cloud bet special props that they have for this matchup and get your opinion on it? Uh, total successful takedowns by Lupi Godinez over under two and a half. Over. Over two and a half. I'm right there with you. You're getting even money if you guys want to hop on that on cloud bet. Uh, I think again, the link is in the description below, but please continue. Real quick too, I think the other DFS platforms, I mean, I don't have access to them anymore because I'm not, I'm not out in Vegas now, but I think the majority of them have those set at three even. Oh, wow. So I think you are getting a, a little bit of meat on the bone with that two and a half. Because obviously then just hypothesizing, she takes her down once each round decision, most likely outcome. There you go. That's why the, that's why all these other platforms have it set at three to try to you know push that. So if you guys have the two and a half, I think that's a really good look. I don't hate it. I, I don't. I, I do see multiple takedowns here as well. I'm hoping none of them transpires into to an actual finish before she's able to hit that third one. But uh, it seems pretty good at two and a half. Three and a half, I'd be a little bit skeptical. But two and a half, I definitely see uh, hitting. All right. That's a wrap on the prelims. Shout out to the uh, 80 live viewers that we have currently joining on us on this Friday afternoon as the weigh-ins are currently going on as well. Uh, make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below for the All-Star. Let them know you guys appreciate us doing the show. Uh, don't worry, Cody will be back next week for UFC's 278 card uh, to give you guys all the best props for that one. But make sure you guys give my guy Luke some love as well. You guys can follow him at SWR underscore betting on Twitter. Make sure you guys follow him. Uh, and uh, I promise you guys will get uh, a lot of fun gifts, not to mention my favorite Russian gift that I, I love seeing every time he breaks out whenever these Russian guys are fighting. But uh, not just that, but great uh, quality content and insightful tweets and information. So make sure you guys go check him out.
All right, let's move on to the main card here, and we're going to be starting off with some violence, I think. We got a 185-pound belt between Gerald Mearshart and Bruno Silva. In terms of odd, uh, so, sorry, in terms of odds, uh, obvious chalk on the Bruno Silva side here at minus 285, plus 240, the return on Gerald GM3 Mearshart. Uh, Luke, I'll let you kick it off, man. Do you think your fellow Wisconsin native Gerald Mearshart will be able to get it done, or does Bruno Silva send him to the shadow realm once again? Yeah, I always got a soft spot for for old GM3. You know, there's there's not too many guys in the UFC from from my neck of the woods, so... Uh, I'll, I'm, I'm always rooting for him. Um, I do think this is a tough-ish matchup for him, just based on the the dynamic of Silva being a go-forward pressure power puncher that's pretty consistently given Mearshart issues over the years as he's now not the fastest guy in the world. He's not the most athletic guy in the world. I do think his boxing has improved since the early part of his UFC career, though. Like I thought he did a lot of good things in that Muradov fight, too. So I think people shit on him a little too much and say like he has no striking or he can't strike i i would disagree with that um but yeah i mean the athleticism gap here is massive so most likely outcome silva bonk i think the under one and a half around evens is a good look but honestly i'm probably gonna take like a really small shot on Mearshart by sub at plus 500 silva the overwhelming majority of his career losses have come by submission even more recently in the UFC, we saw Wellington Terman get to his back, backpack him. Honestly, if he just puts on a body triangle, which is something Gerald Mearshart will do if he gets into that position, but he didn't. And then, you know, he fell off the top of Silva and then Silva knocked him out in the guard. But we also saw Andrew Sanchez wrestle him extensively, not get to his back fully, but got to back ride. My point is that there's multiple points in the past, even in Silva's, uh, you know, regional days when he does get taken down, he gives his back like clockwork. And GM3 is very, very quick in those transitions. Like I said, he is a guy who will lock down a body triangle too. So he's going to have opportunities in this fight if he just does not get marked, you know, within the first minute and a half. Like I said, Silva has shown some of these poor defensive tendencies, has been submitted multiple times. GM3 is one of the most dangerous submission grapplers out here. So you get a guy who's pretty much entire win equity throughout the course of his UFC career entirely at plus 500 when I do think he's going to have opportunities here. I think that's worth a nibble, but I do think the safest play is probably the under one and a half to cover more bases around evens. Yeah, uh, GM3, not just, you know, really successful with his jiu-jitsu, but he's actually in the UFC record books as well. Currently tied in number uh, in that fifth spot with Frank Mir for eight submission victories in their UFC career. Uh, will he ever be able to catch number one, Charles Oliveira? Probably not, considering that Charles currently sits at 16, double what he has, but still very deadly. Um You'd think people would want to hear out Gerald Mearshart's side a little bit more, especially with him going out there and springing that upset against Mahmoud Muradov a couple fights ago, right? Like, that's absolutely in play, like, especially if he doesn't get murked early, like, he can go out there and make it rough for some of these guys. And you have laid it out perfectly, right? Like, Silva can be taken down. Silva can, you know, find some difficulties uh, dealing with guys that want to approach it with a, a grapple-heavy approach. And like all week, I've been hearing Bruno Silva should be your locker of the night. Bruno Silva should be no, no. Like when I see a guy that has an obvious hole compared to his opponent, uh, and, and it's his opponent's like legit strong suit, 
that does not qualify as a lock that I play for me because I don't want to be sweating should this fight hit the ground. I will be sweating should this fight hit the ground. So the way that I look to approach it is just fight doesn't go to decision. Again, more chalk, whatever. Fucking parlay that shit up with something else, right? I know you get an evens for the under one and a half, but even that ha that has me a little bit sketched out in case Gerald does get some grappling success and does have to like push it further into this fight to be able to pull it off. We've seen him get third round finishes before, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. But I agree with you. I, I, I think the most obvious outcome is likely that uh, Silva bonks him on the chin here, puts him out and puts him away. Um, but I, I'm not willing to pay minus 285 on that small little sliver of of time that we have to rely upon him to get it. It's just the it's just the the lack of speed that GM3 brings to the table is just too big of a red flag for me to overlook uh you know Silva's finishing opportunity here. He should be able to get him early, should be able to get him out of there, should be able to cash that. But uh similar to like the the Charlie Ontiveros round one shot that we're thinking about taking, right? Plus 550 on GM3 to win by submission is similar to that right if you're getting plus 200 then maybe you pass on that but you're getting plus 550 in this spot um for his best outcome his best possibility of winning so um i, I don't hate anybody taking that shot on sub by gerald but i do think we end up seeing that first round ko for the bruno silva side come to fruition here let me just get that actual number here round one for silva is plus 130 silva by ko is minus 150 you want to put those two together if you have one of those books that give you ko round one you're getting plus 185 on bruno silva before we move on though uh there is a special club bread prop for this which i'll tee you up for once again here luke uh gerald mirashart total successful takedowns over under one and a half. Oh, one and a half. Oh man he does average over two per 15 minutes, but I, with the with the consensus that early bonk is in play, despite me saying I think, you know, plus 550 on Mearshart sub fight could extend, but I'm going to go under, though. I'll go under as well. Like, I, I agree. Like, I don't think we'll have enough time for the, the over to hit, honestly. Like, especially even if he just lands that one takedown, he could end it with that one takedown as well. So uh, that's absolutely in play. But yes, me and Luke, both with the under one and a half, which currently pays out uh, ba -ba 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 -ba, minus 110. So if you guys want to check that out, once again, shout out to CloudBet. Link is in the description below if you guys want to take advantage of that. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Another fight. That was pushed over from last week. Now they're going to be competing at 135 pounds. We got Ariani Lipsky going up against Priscilla Cachoeira. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 190 for Lipsky, plus 160 the return on Priscilla Cachoeira. Uh, last week, I had a one-unit play on Priscilla Cachoeira at plus 150. My bookie has honored it, and I'm still sticking with that, although I wish they didn't honor it because uh, I saw her get up to a plus 175 earlier this week. Um, I would have much rather have that line than plus 150, but still happy with the plus 150. Um, we've heard the breakdowns over and over again about this fight, so I'll try to keep it short here. Um, the, the best way for me to break this fight down is Ariane Lipsky is the better mixed martial artist. Priscilla Keshwar is the better fighter, right? Like she actually wants to go in there and fight. She wants to put the pressure on her opponents. She wants to try to break their break them with her you know, the style which her nickname indicates, the, the zombie-type style. Just fucking move forward, take all the damage in the world, but just keep throwing, and you should likely get, you know, the, the nod, whether it's like the Ji-Yoon Kim fight where you get outstruck by 67 significant strikes but still get the nod because of your forward pressure and movement. Um, 
or she can get the knockout by tying her opponent's out like she did against Gina Mazzani. Ariane Lipsky, right? Like her wins, Isabella de Padua on less than 24 hours notice. Uh, Mandy Baum, who we know is not Baum anymore. Let's replace those OH with the U, and that's probably what we're getting. Uh, and then the Luana Carolina fight, right? That funky knee bar she was able to hit on her. However, I would love to see that fight get pushed even further. Um, see how that would have happened, or how that would have turned out should that fight gone the full 15 minutes. Uh, especially considering, you know, outside of that KO loss that Carolina just took, hasn't been looking that bad, right? Like she has shown some improvements, especially since that fight. And then her losses, right? Molly McCann, Joanne Calderwood, uh, you know, it just doesn't look the prettiest. Montana De La Rosa. I think Priscilla Cashora finds herself somewhere in between those wins and losses in terms of skill level and ability to actually win fights. So I, I am leading Cashawara here because, yes, she will likely get touched up by Lipsky, but I think at a certain point, Lipsky is going to start to get demoralized by the fact that Cashawara is still in front of her even after all the shots that she lands. I am not discounting the possibility that... Uh, uh, Lipsky looks to take this fight to the ground and, and tries to have some success there, but I'm just not fully sold that she'll have a tremendous amount of success there. I think more often than not, this fight will play take place on the feet and Cashuero will be the one moving forward, landing the big strikes and likely taking home a decision victory where it currently sits at plus 330 for Cashuero to win by decision. Sign me up, but I already like the money line where it's at at plus 150. I, I hate betting bad fighters. Priscilla Cashuero is a bad fighter, but I think the Ariadne Lipsky is a is not what we expected her to be after coming off that cage, uh, sorry, that KSW run that she was on and coming over as the violence queen. I don't know where the violence is. I, I think she left it fucking in, in, in Poland, but, uh, <laughs> and she might have to give it to fucking Cashuera this weekend, especially if Cashuera goes out and finish her, finishes her herself in a, a violent fashion. But give me the dog, give me Cashuera. What, what are you thinking here? What, what, do you think that Lipsky can? You know, put on her better technical uh, skill set and and outmatch Cashuera here, or do you think that Cashuera uh, just Cashuera is her way to victory once again? Yeah, it's another fight that I don't really have a particularly strong opinion on, just because yeah. I don't rate either girl very highly. I am picking Lipsky just because I do think she is the better mixed martial artist, and I do think she has more paths to victory. So just based on that, I'm going to pick her to win, but don't really have any confidence in her for a lot of the reasons you mentioned above, because if you're, if you guys are familiar with her KSW run, when she was going coming into the UFC, I mean, pretty much everybody, including myself was like this, you know, we might have something with this chick. Right. Yeah. And she was over a minus two to one favorite against both McCann and Jojo. And it was like, I don't know what happened with her. It was like I was watching a completely different girl than what I saw over in KSW. And that's kind of been like the theme throughout her her USC career. Like you said, her nickname was like the violence queen. She was just known to be this aggro girl, just getting girls' face. She even wrestled a lot more, even back on the regionals too, and snagged up a lot more submissions and stuff. Um, but she's just been all over the board. Like, I still don't know where she's at. I think if the best girl shows up, I think she's actually reasonably skilled and she does have power for the division too. But it's like, I don't, I don't trust what the best girl's going to show up. And if the best girl does not show up against Priscilla Cachoeira, she's probably going to get her ass whooped to be completely honest with you. Um, Hopefully, if their camp is smart, they just come out here and wrestle because I think that's a, just a really clear, easy path to victory for Lipsky, in my opinion. I know Lipsky has looked horrible on bottom, but 
Tashwara really doesn't wrestle where we have at least seen more wrestling, more grappling upside on the Lipsky side. So I don't really know what to do from a prop here. Like I said, it kind of depends on what version of Lipsky shows up, depending on how you want to go. If you get the bad version of Ariane Lipsky, Kashiwara by knockout at plus 550 is interesting. You get a better intelligent processed version of Lipsky. Lipsky by submission at plus 550, I think is interesting. So because I don't have a great read on the fight, I might I might just nibble a little bit of both of them. Yeah, sub uh, uh, Lipsky is probably what I've seen most in terms of people that are high on Lipsky in this spot. Uh, and, I, and I don't disagree with it. Let's just see if she actually goes out there with conviction and looks to get this to the ground and try to get that sub. Uh, before we do move on to the next fight, I have seen a couple people in the comment section asking about Cody. He is actually in Nashville uh, as of this moment, he's going to be calling one of those regional cards that he's been breaking down. Uh, so he was not able to do the show. Thankfully, my guy Luke Lamp from Sparring with Reality Betting and of the Club and Sub podcast was able to step in on short notice. Not just short notice, super short notice. We're talking about like within 30 minutes, not even 30 minutes, 20 minutes. This guy let me know that he could do the show. So shout out to Luke for stepping in on short notice. You guys are still getting quality breakdowns and quality analysis from a very sharp dude himself. So Give my guy Luke some love. All right, let's move on to the next fight here, uh, a fight that I've heard a lot about uh, from both sides, uh, actually more so on the underdog side. We got Devin Clark taking on Azamat Mirzakhanov. We got minus 145 on Mirzakhanov and plus 125 the return on Devin Clark. Now, decent amount of line movement on this fight uh, in regards to, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mirzakhanov being close to minus 170, minus 180 earlier in the week. And then a lot of love coming on Devin Clark, pushing that number down to about minus 145. I'll let you break this one down first. Um, what are you liking here? What do you think about the line movement? And then ultimately, what prop are you leaning on the most for this matchup? It's another tricky one on the card because I am not I am not in camp Mirzakhanov personally. I know there's a lot of people are who really like the guy. I think he thinks he has a ton of upside. There's a lot of things he does well. I think he's a pretty athletic dude for his size. He's got a nice left hand. You know, he hits he hits pretty hard. He moves pretty well. Um, he's shown some offensive wrestling upside. But the reality with his career is he's just went out there and bonked the majority of guys within two minutes. There's still a lot we don't know about this guy. You know, he fought that Innocentia guy on the regionals who gassed after three minutes. He was just able to lay on him. But that's a fawn fight. You know, there's a lot of red flags in that fight, you know, where he was not able to get to fawn out early. That fight was not very high paced and he got very tired in, in the uh, second round of that fight. And Tafan was actually minus 400 on the live line going into the third round there. And then we obviously know that, that they then he memes memes to fawn. I lost a few shillings there that that really sucked. But my point is that I, I think there's just a lot of red flags still on this guy. I, I question his cardio now. He's never been shot on really in his entire career. So what does his cardio look like in a wrestling intensive affair against him? No clue. What does he look like on bottom? No clue. What does he look like in overall distance striking exchanges outside of the small sample in the Tafan fight? Don't have much of a sample of that either, right? So to me, there's just a ridiculous amount of questions. Conversely, on the Clark side, Clark has been very wishy-washy, you know, as a fighter. He's been all over the board. You know, he's looked really solid in certain spots, and he's then you're just like, what the hell's going on, Devin, uh, in, in other spots too. So he's an incredibly difficult guy to trust. But I do think him moving his camp over to elevation is probably a really good move. 
maybe gets gets Devin's dad out of, out of his ear a little bit. What I will say though, from a, a personal perspective, always one of my favorite things ever. Devin Clark fights are always my favorites. With, with his dad just yelling, "Get up, Devin! Get up, the Devin! Circle! Come Devin. on, Devin!" <laughs> Sorry, it's either that or Valentina Shevchenko in the corner, right? It's one of those, no in between. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm I'm the loser that get that got a kick out of that over the years. Hey, I am too. Don't worry, we're both losers. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I I think there are aspects of Clark's game being a base wrestler that can potentially answer a lot of questions on Mirzakhanov. Like I said, I I know Mirzakhanov comes from a wrestling background, and I keep hearing people talk about that. But it said. I mean, his defensive wrestling hasn't been tested. So are we just willing to automatically say he's a good defensive wrestler, that he can get up from bottom? He's a good defensive grappler. <clears throat> I have no idea, and I'm not willing to say that. And I do think it's something that Clark is going to test here. But I think Clark getting bonked is incredibly live here. I think him losing distance exchanges overall is also incredibly live. So uh, I know there's a lot of people who have super strong takes on Merzakhanov. There's a lot of people that have super strong takes on Clark. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I lean more to the Clark side in the sense that he's the dog here um, with potentially more upside uh, against a guy with a lot of questions on Merzakhanov. So with all that being said, I think Clark by points at plus 275 is what I'm going to go with as my best bet. I know he bonked tonight in his last outing, but historically Clark decisionator, decision machine, grinder, that's how he's winning his fights. Um, if he's going to win here, I think that's his most likely path. So the discrepancy between the money line and his decision line is kind of interesting to me. I would much rather take, if I'm going to take a shot on Clark, I'd much rather, you know, buy down and, and go plus 275 than, than go plus 125 in the money line. Yeah, I, I am leaning more so on the uh, Mirzakhanov side myself. Um, again, the, the, you nailed it in terms of the, the wishy-washy Clark run that we've been getting, right? Sometimes we get a great version of him. Sometimes we just see him lay an egg, right? Like the Ryan Spann fight was hilarious because it seemed like Ryan Spann didn't even want to be in there. And he goes, all right, fine. I guess I'll finish you now. Like that that's pretty much what it seemed like. He had Brian, uh, sorry, he had Devin Clark uh, backing up the entire time and just didn't know how to approach it. And then when he finally started to give a fuck, he, he was able to lock up that guillotine choke and get him out of there. Uh, this is not Ryan Spandler, right? This is so Azamat Mirzakhanov, who we're trying to see if he truly can fulfill the potential that we believed he had coming into the UFC after that dominant victory on the Dana White Contender Series. I think he has like like the speed and and power advantage early in this fight, similar to like the, the Bruno Silva versus Gerald Mearshart type of fight, where like he should be able to go out there and bonk him early and get him out of there and 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 cash that ticket. But like at minus one forty five, I, I was thinking about it earlier this week. I, I'm like, should I just lay it to 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 win one unit? Like, should I do that much? But I, I feel like we're still seeing enough Devin Clark love starting to come in that uh, we might even be able to get a better line on that. So for me, it's more so just staying patient with the line and seeing what line I'm actually going to end up with. Uh, I, I think we will get the answers. Uh, to the questions of like what his defensive grappling looks like, um, how he'd be able to deal with a guy like Devin Clark, but like. The top, uh, I, I see everybody kind of leaning on that Tefan and Chukwe uh, fight, but to me, it's like that's a completely different stylistic matchup. Like, like dealing with a guy that has that power striking style of Tefan and Chukwe is going to be different than what you're going to be dealing with Devin Clark. Now, albeit you'll likely have to face more, uh, um, or sorry, you'll ha likely have to use more energy, especially with how much grappling will likely be going on in this fight, but maybe he is a little bit more 
comfortable grappling than he is trying to stay away from the big shots of a guy like Tafan. Like, sure, using energy sucks out your gas tank. But I think another thing that people kind of look over is like when you're kind of stressed out in a fight, that will weigh on your gas tank as well. And that might make you, that might cause you to slow down a little bit. And I think truly that Azman, once realizing that he wasn't going to be able to get Tafan down with ease as he expected, was like, oh, fuck, now I got to strike with this monster who likely has a better uh, technical advantage over me. That's where I think he started to slow down and, and start to have some issues. Luckily for him, he was able to hit that uh, Hail Mary shot uh, at the beginning of the third round. But like I, I still think the jury is out on how good this Azamat guy could actually end up being. And I think this will be a good barometer for us to go out there and see, okay, he dealt with Devin Clark relatively easily. Maybe he is what, what we expect him to be. But I hope we see him tested in those spots first before he goes out there and just absolutely bonks Devin Clark on the chin and we get another situation where we're like, ah, not enough data to digest what he brought to the table here. Uh, I, I'll still lean the Azamat side. I do think at a certain point he'll be able to find that chin of Clark and put him out. Although I will say this, you know, considering how much people always talk about Devin Clark's chin, he has only ever been knocked out twice inside the UFC. You know what I mean? That that is interesting, but I think the reason why people continue to harp on it is the guy gets hurt in almost every fucking fight. <laughs> like he always gets hurt. He either gets hurt and wins, or he gets hurt and then ends up losing a decision or something like that. We even saw him get hurt in his last fight against Thick Willie. So um, I like the move to Elevation Fight Team as well. I think this is going to be his second, maybe third training camp over there. So he's already been there a little bit. Um, I see him working with my guy, Cody Donovan, on a regular basis. So you got to believe they're doing some good work with him. The only issue I have is I think we already have a complete version of Devin Clark. Like, I don't think anything that Elevation Fight Team will do is going to improve this guy that much. Like, I think we already have a finished product with him. So uh, I think they can, they'll do what they can in terms of maybe getting a, a better gas tank. Maybe that's something that he can benefit from being over there at Elevation Fight Team in Denver. But outside of that, like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not expecting a completely rejuvenated and different version of Devin Clark just because he's changed uh, training camp. So, um, yeah, give me Mirzakhanov. Uh, Mirzakhanov round one is currently sitting at uh, plus 250. Mirzakhanov by KO plus, four, plus 140. That, that's probably where I'd be leading. And then, yeah, Luke, you nailed it in terms of uh, Clark's possible way of winning this fight. Decision, right? Wins by decision. That currently sits at plus 275. Uh, the Cloud Brett special prop for this matchup, which I'm going to tee up to you here. Uh, total takedowns in the entire fight. So that's from both guys over under three and a half. That's tough because the early Mirzakhanov bonk is there. Um and once again, I have so many questions on his defensive wrestling, right? So you put both those things together, that makes it a really, <laughs> a really tough ball of wax. Um, you said three and a half? Yeah. Just to, I'll, go, I'll to, lean under. Okay. Under is minus 107, over is minus 114. So, uh, I think the under will likely hit as well just because of that early Azimat KO. Uh, I think that's pretty fucking live to go out there and hit. So uh, under three and a half minus 107 once again on CloudBet. Link is in the description below if you want access to those special props. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. We got three fights left. An interesting placement of this fight between two debuting straw weights in the UFC, both with the same fucking name. So they, you know, just couldn't make it any easier for us handicappers we got yasmin yadagui going up against yasmin lucindo uh 
in terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 205 on Yadagui and plus 175 the return on Lucindo. Uh, when I when I did tape on this fight, I started off on the Lucindo side. I'm like, oh, this this chick's not that bad. Like, you know, she has good grappling, she has good wrestling, she has good top control. Like, she has that knack for going out there and using what her advantages, you know, without really sugarcoating her or or beating around the bush. She goes for takedowns. She more often than not gets them, and then she's able to control her opponents from on top. I'm like, usually when we have a women's MMA fighter that takes this approach, usually they're the favorite, right? But then you look on the Yaragui side, you see why she potentially ends up uh, being the favorite here because her striking looks very crisp. She reminds me of a a poor woman's Marina Rodriguez. Like she has solid striking, solid combinations. She throws with conviction. I love everything we see about her. Uh, defensive grappling seems to be holding up against you know mediocre competition. This will likely be her toughest test in terms of somebody that's going to be looking to actively get her to the ground and drown her. Which does, you know, early in the week, I was like, okay, I might end up paying the chalk on Yadagui. But, like, the more that I'm thinking about it, we haven't seen her face somebody that's going to go out there and shoot as many takedowns in Lucindo. But this could end up looking like a... This might end up looking like a Paul Craig versus Vulcan Uzdemir situation where, like, we need Lucindo to go out there and get that takedown. Otherwise, she's going to be outstruck on the feet and she could potentially get TKO'd on the feet as well. Uh, that's the side that I'm leaning on is Yadagui by TKO currently sits at plus 250. I think she absolutely beats the shit out of this girl on the feet, to be honest. I, I am not impressed at all with Lucindo's uh, striking in any rate. Um but should this fight get dragged to the ground, there are finishing opportunities for Lucindo as well. But I think we'll see enough good get-up game from Yaragui to get back into her striking realm and then just put her punches together, eventually getting Lucindo out of there, like I said, by TKO. Did you see anything else on tape here that like makes you think that there's value on the Lucindo side, makes you think that she could compete in the striking realm? Um, and then ultimately, what prop are you leaning on the most here? Yeah, it was kind of an interesting fight because going into tape study on this, I was not like neither girl's name jumped off the page or anything at all to me. I wasn't familiar with either of them. And I started on this Yaragui chick and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, I honestly, dude, this is a, like a bold, really bold take that I don't make very often, Ooh, especially on. I think I know where you know, you're going with this, but continue. Younger girls, but I think Yaragui beats. 50% of the roster right now. Wow. I I genuinely do. I think this girl's the fucking goods. <laughs> I, I really do. I really like what I've seen from her so far. Her diversity of attack on the feed is awesome. She's processed. She's fast. She mixes it up. Um, she's got power, like pure power for one. I mean, maybe not pure power, but she's a girl who can really wear like a Marina Rodriguez. Stinging power. It's funny that you brought that up because that's actually what I put in my in my breakdowns on my Patreon. I'm like, this girl kind of reminds me of a, a youthful Marina Rodriguez combination with like Alexa Grasso ask in there a little bit too. Um, I think yeah, I think I think the girls the girls solid, and from what I've seen from the Lucindo side, she doesn't look comfortable at space at all. And so when this fight is on the feet, I think Yaragui's gonna carve her like a Thanksgiving turkey. To be completely honest I love with it. You. I love it. Um, but I, I under, I, I genuinely understand the Lucindo side, though, right? Because her tape suggests she's going to go out there, she's going to shoot takedowns, and I actually think her control grappling has looked pretty good so far to date. My thing is, her wrestling's predictable. She doesn't have much chain wrestling. She is kind of reliant on the body lock, which will work 
against lower level women pretty consistently. But this is that this is my overall prediction. I don't think this Yardley chick is low level. In the time she's been taken, in general, I think her takedown defense is pretty good. In the time she's been taken down, she has shown all the right things mechanically. She even got mounted once, did exactly what she needed to do step by step, worked out of it within five seconds. She shrimps, frames, builds a base, digs an underhook, wall walks, like all the stuff I want to see if someone's taken down, she's not going to sit there and play guard. On paper, she actually is the better grappler. She's a purple belt. Lucinda's a blue belt. I think that's a little interesting. Um, so I don't know. I guess I'm just not of the opinion that Lucinda comes out here, shoots takedowns, Yargui, one, that she just goes down with ease. I think she might just stuff everything to begin with. Two, if she does get taken down, I think she's going to work up pretty quickly. And three, Lucindo's coming in this fight on less than two weeks notice fighting down at a weight class that she hasn't fought in for the first time in two years. Like can, is her cardio even going to sustain? Like, let's say I'm wrong and she is able to have more grappling success in this fight. Can she go out there and do that over the course of 15 minutes against a girl in Yaragui who's going to be piecing her on the feet. Who's not going to accept being on bottom position. Who's going to make her work for every single advance, every single position. Not for me. I think she's going to gas and I think Yaragui is going to finish her in either the second or third round. So I think that uh, Yaragui, KO, TKO, plus 250, plus 275 range is, is good money. I love it. I'm, I'm glad that we're on the same side there. And shout out to our guy, SKD Singh. It's cool listening to two dudes who are actually big women MMA appreciators. Yeah, I, I think women's MMA gets too bad of a rap. Like they, people just always say, hey, women's MMA, you know, unpredictable. No, it is predictable. <laughs> like, I do the best on women's MMA, honestly. Like, I, I feel really good about whenever I have a, a solid read on women's, women's MMA and I don't let the whole it's women when it's women's MMA narrative talk me off of it at all. If I feel good about it, I'll pay the chalk if I need to. Otherwise, if I see an underdog that I like, I'll take the underdog as well. So uh, glad that we're on the same side there. I might officially play that TKO prop myself. Uh, plus 275 seems like a, a steal, especially considering the the skill discrepancy, especially when we're getting the uh, the, the striking involved in the spot. All right, let's move on to the next fight here, and it is going to be the co-main event between David Onama and Nate the Train Land, where we're looking at minus 300 on David Onama and plus 250 the return on Nate Landwehr. Interesting fight between these two folks. Um, I'll let you kick this one off, my friend. Uh, you, you, you ride in the David Onama hype train, or do you think it collides with Nate's train? It's one of those fights where honestly, I'm not as high on Onama as everyone is. Like, I think he is a solid prospect. That is what I am in alignment with on people on. But like right now in 2022, David Onama, I think he's still got a ways to go. I think there's still a lot of questions in terms of his defensive wrestling. I think there's a lot of questions in terms of his general defense. Um, he's pretty hittable. Uh, I think probably his best attributes are that you know, he's big, long, he's a solid athlete, and he hits hard. I, I think those, those are his best attributes. But I just – the best way I can – I don't think he's refined yet. Mm -hmm. Let me put it that way. Mm -hmm. But I think he's a guy because he has, you know, the athletic tools that, that he can still win fights, you know, obviously at a UFC level. He's proven that. But I think he needs some more seasoning. Landwehr, obviously, you know, Kind of your just traditional junkyard dog. I don't think he does anything particularly great, but I think he's reasonably well-rounded. He's pretty consistent to throw his hands. Um, if he is taken down, we saw that back a lot on the Russian regionals. 
He's going to make guys work. Guys have difficulty holding him down. They gas. He can get on top of people, finish them, take over fights. That's probably his best attribute is that this guy has like an hour of cardio. You could put him in an hour long fight. He's not going to get tired. Right. Um, But obviously the concern is, you know, he's been knocked out twice in the UFC um, by Herbert Burns and Julian Arosa. One thing I will say though, they were both knees. Like, that's not like a conventional way to get knocked out once, let alone twice in a row. So it's not like the dude's going out there getting clocked with hooks and overhands or getting dropped by jabs or anything like that. So I'm not, this might be a hot take. I'm just, I'm not willing to say he's not durable based on those two things. Um, Because if you go back once again to his, his days over in Russia, I mean, the guy Shoney could take a bunch of shots. He took a lot of shots in the Elkins fight. Um, at least from a punching perspective. So I'm not willing to say that he's he's fragile yet. He could be. I could be wrong, but I, I'm not willing to go there yet. But I do think the most likely outcome, based on the general Onama athleticism and, and power, is he's probably an Onama knockout. Where my point of contention comes is if Onama does not get that knockout early. Because like I said, Nate Landwehr is a guy who, if you don't kill him early, he is going to be in there. He's a builder in his fight's Tends to be a slower starter or not a faster starter. That's where the concern is. But if he does survive the first round, I think he he's live to win this fight. I think he can compete uh, on minutes. We obviously saw Onama severely struggle in the wrestling in his debut against Mason Jones. I understand up a weight class short notice. Got to give the guy a bit of a pass in that capacity. But it is, it is a, a sample that we have. I don't think Onama looked particularly good in the arm field fight minute to minute, exchange to exchange, pretty competitive actually. And then Armfield gassed who came in on short notice too. That's my thing. Landwehr ain't going to gas. He's plus 250, <clears throat> junkyard dog. He's the type of guy, in my opinion, Jesus, sorry, I've got to <laughs> No <my> worries. <laughs> it's still early. I get it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Apologies. He is the type of guy that I want to back as a big dog. Like I'm fine to, to lay a, a small unit size. I understand the knockout risk. But he's going to be a guy who's going to go out there and fight for my money. So, um, well, like I said, I'm not convinced he's fragile yet. Um, I think he can give Onama some issues. So I'm actually going to go with the upset here. But Onama does appear to have some pretty good hardware. So we're going to get dicey and go landwehr by points at plus 550. It seems like, you know, 12 fights into the uh, breaking down this card that our, our betting card at the end of the day might end up looking the same. because. <laughs> <laughs> Because we pretty much agreed on pretty much everything. And if I took anything from quickly as skimming through the club and sub podcast last night, especially the main event, we might be on the same side there as well. But uh, yeah, I laid the the half unit on Nate Landward at plus two plus two forty on uh, myself last night because I see this exact same things that you guys are seeing as well, right? Like it's are we banking on David Onama to go out there and get that first round knockout? That is the most obvious outcome, which is what the odds are indicating. And it's obviously in play, but we always have to wonder how fights play out. If that guy does not get that early knockout, right? Like, like Nate, the train can put that pressure on you. Nate can wrestle. Nate can make it very difficult for you to actually land that big strike uh, and, and try to get you out of there. Not to mention Onama taking this fight on short notice, you know, just a month over that fight that he had with Garrett Armfield. And I took a half year shot on Garrett Armfield as well because, you know, I, I saw the, the the funny thing is, like, obviously the, 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 the reason that was a big fight was because they fought on the amateur scene before, right? And they had a slugfest for nine minutes, whatever it was for the amateur rounds there. 
Then you go on and watch the rest of Garrett Armfield's career and find out that he has a wrestling background, which he didn't even use a little bit in that first fight. And uh, he's actually using it effectively in future professional MMA fights. So I'm like, if he can go out there and secure those takedowns and do some work there against David Onama, he likely has some success and looks pretty good at plus 400. And he did. But then obviously David Onama wraps up a choke and, and gets him out of there. The difference from the first fight and this fight or, or that fight was that there, there are different weight classes now, right? Uh, Armfield fights at 135, Onama normally at 145 now. So yeah, definitely some size uh, on his uh, uh, on his side in, the, in that fight. Here against uh, Nate the Train. Nate's going to make it very difficult for him to have much success. Um, he'll be in his face. He'll, he'll be looking for takedowns, I think. And I think he's going to be looking to grind David Onama down and you know, I, I think the reason everybody's so big on Damon Onama is, sure, you know, knockout victories over Gabriel Benitez will we'll do that. But it's also that fight that he had with Mason Jones. But what people fail to realize about Mason Jones is he's so goddamn hittable that almost anybody could have an entertaining fight with him as long as their durability holds up as well. That's why he looks so good is because you guys, you can hit him over and over again, right? He has that like Vicente Luque syndrome where like he'll be a great fighter if he can continue to bank on his durability, which Vicente Luque can no longer bank on his durability, or at least not against guys like Jeff Neal. At a certain point, it's not going to work out for you, as we saw in Mason Jones' last fight against Ludovic Klein. Come in with a different type of game plan. Don't slug with this guy, and you'll likely be able to get your hand raised. Nate the Train can make this all sorts of dirty. Nate the Train can make this all sorts of uh, uh, of a close fight, which is why I just don't understand why people are willing to go out there and pay that minus 300 on David Onama. If you're willing to pay minus 300 on David Onama, it means that you believe he knocks him out. You're getting Onama by KO at plus 120. Pay that instead. like Or inside the distance if you think he can club and sub him. And that's sitting around minus 120, minus 125. That is much better than laying the minus 300 on David Onama. Because should this go the full 15 minutes... I don't know what his chances would be of actually getting that decision over Nate the Train, who will likely be the busier party here. So, I like I said, I already took the money line on uh, Nate the Train. I think it's great where it's at. It's getting even better, so I wish I actually stayed off with it a little bit longer so I can get that plus 250. But I'm more than happy with the plus 240. But if you want to get a specific prop here, landware by decision, plus 550, like Luke already said, that's probably the way to go. I'd be surprised if, if he finishes Onama, right? Like Onama, still young, still very durable. Um, and, and I think he can. He still has damage that he can take in his career before we have to question his durability and ability to see judges' scorecards. So I think he has that going for him. But yeah, I really like Nate here. Last thing I say about this fight, uh, David Onama, uh, I, I said it in my uh, Action Network uh, article that I broke down uh, this fight in, uh, hoping to go two for two for picking underdogs in the Coleman event here. But uh, one thing I said is he he benefited from having like a boxing type career come up. And what I mean by that is like all of his fights were in Kansas City, where he's from. All of his fights were under the banner that his head coach runs FAC. And I think he also used to run KCFA or whatever it's called. Um, so he's getting tailored May matchups for him. And he's showing some you know, facing some adversity in those matchups, right? There's a couple fights there where you see him uh, and his takedown defense getting exploited in certain spots. There's not enough statistical data to prove that Nate the Train has a decided grappling advantage over him, but you just have to watch his entire career. Like, not even his entire career, but go back to his M1 global days as well, where you'll see him use his grappling effectively as well. So, um, yeah, I think David Onama, like you, promising career ahead of him but in 2022 you can't be having him as a minus 300 favorite over a guy like 
need to train who's had experience from all over the world against high high level competition as well so yeah nate the train is the pick for me and uh luke and we both like the decision prop as well plus 550. all right that will bring us right into the main event but before i do that shout out to the 100 live viewers that we currently have appreciate you guys stopping by and showing us love on this friday afternoon make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below if you haven't already you guys can follow me on social media at mmalot and you can follow luke on social media at at, uh, at swr underscore betting make sure you guys go show him some love and then obviously check out the podcast that he does every wednesday night with the guys over there at the club and sub podcast as well as the usual alternate for the prop new up show john stargarian uh 10 p.m eastern on wednesday nights club and sub podcast make sure you guys go show them some support and uh, add another breakdown and podcast to your rotation which i promise you guys will very much enjoy all right let's get into this main event we're going to be talking about marlon chito vera taking on his toughest test to date and dominic cruz in terms of odds we are getting chalk on the marlon vera side who's coming in at minus 240 plus 200 the return on one of the bantamweight goats Dominic Cruz, and I thought I would never say that in my life, Luke. Plus 200 on Dominic Cruz is the line that we are getting on a guy that's, you know, or sorry, against a guy that, uh, you know, he's on a 3-5 winning streak. I get it. Good win over Davey Grant. Uh, lost the first round of Frankie Edgar to footwork, pace, and movement. Mm, sounds kind of familiar with what we're going to be breaking down in this fight. Uh, and then obviously, you know, turned him into an NFT in, in round three there with that front kick up the middle. And, and then the Rob Fawn fight where he gets outstruck almost double, but still goes out there and lands the knockdowns and is able to, to give Rob Fawn trouble and then eventually get that win. So I get the narrative on Marlon Vera, right? The trajectory of both of these guys' careers. Marlon Vera's on the way up. Dominic Cruz, you know, he has two wins, but just based on the fact that he's 37 years old, everybody's thinking that he's on a decline and that he is all of a sudden washed. I literally have been seeing people saying Dominic Cruz is washed, which I don't understand considering he's on a two-fight winning streak. And oh my God, he got knocked down by Pedro Munoz one time. Perfection has its slip-ups every now and then, and that's pretty much what we've been getting with Dominic Cruz. The best thing about that knockdown, though, is the fact that within the same round, he still went out and won the rest of that round. Like It's not like that knockout knockdown did too much for Pedro Munoz other than maybe scoring that round for him, but we did see Dominic Cruz come back and go back to exactly what he does, footwork, that figure-eight footwork style that he likes to do, uh, you know, output, and he stuck with it. So I think he still has shown us that as brittle as his body may be, he still goes out there and can fuel the type of performance that he needs, right? His body can still go out and do what he needs. The footwork, the output, the movement, he can even change levels and go for takedowns if he needs to, which I think will be prevalent in this spot. Like I think giving that different look to Marlon Vera with changing the levels and going for takedowns will keep Marlon Vera a little bit more hesitant. Marlon Vera is the guy that depends upon big moments and fights to win them, right? He did, he needs to knock down his opponent to get the judges on his side. Otherwise, he more often than not is losing decisions as well. Um, I just don't know how you can bet Marlon Vera minus 240 in this spot. A lot of people believe his best winning condition here is winning inside the distance, winning in later rounds, thinking that Dominic Cruz all of a sudden is just going to fall off in rounds four and five and get finished and knocked out. So if you want to play Marlon Vera, go ahead, play round three, round four, round five. You're getting a much better price tag than you are getting on his money line. 
But I really like the Dominic Cruz side here, man. Like until he goes out there and actually takes a legitimate loss to somebody that I don't consider to be one of the greatest, you know, some of the greatest fighters of all time, right? Like Henry Cejudo, Cody Garbrandt. That performance of Cody Garbrandt was one of the greatest performances we'll ever see. And, you know, that Cody Garbrandt is no longer the Cody Garbrandt of 2022. Um, and then the Uriah Faber fight from way back in the day, even before Dominic Cruz came to fame and, and became one of the greatest bantamweights of all time. Those are his only losses. If he loses to a guy like Marlon Vera, I am willing to say, okay, you know, now I'll have second thoughts about betting Dominic Cruz going forward. But you could do much worse than betting minus, or sorry, plus 200 on Dominic Cruz. And even by decision, plus 275, plus 300 on him to win by decision, which is probably his most likely his outcome. So, yeah, I'm. this is just a long-winded way of me saying Dominic Cruz is the side here on the money line. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, I, I also like on DraftKings, if you guys have access to it, decision only Dominic Cruz plus 150. I think it's highly unlikely that Rob, or sorry, uh, Marlon Vera wins a decision like he did against Rob Font that past time. Uh, I think Cruz at, at least banks the first three rounds, maybe even the first three out of the first four rounds. But I think he banks at least three of those rounds off of output, not being hit and uh, getting a decision victory. Last thing I'll say that I'll bring it on over to you. Um, Everybody's saying, oh, Rob Font, you know, great striker. Look at how many times he got got, got touched up. Dominic Cruz has a 71% striking defense rate. Like the guy moves well, does a good job of hitting and not getting hit. Rob Font at times is standing in front of Marlon Vera waiting to get hit, it seems. Dominic Cruz is not going to be there to get hit. It's going to be one of those like, you know, looping, unforeseen shots that Marlon Vera will likely touch him with, but I don't think he's going to be able to touch him with enough of that brunt of the shot to uh, to to hurt him, to knock him down, or cause any big moments in the spot. If there are big moments, they'll likely come later, but I'm not sold that Dominic Cruz is just going to have this tremendous fall-off-a-cliff moment and Chito Vera just absolutely takes over in rounds four and five. Give me Dominic Cruz. Give me Dominic Cruz by decision plus 275. Give me Dominic Cruz decision only plus 150. Give me Dominic Cruz money line plus 200 as well. God damn it, Luke. What are your thoughts here? I feel like you're going to be adding to my argument, but please try to make a case for Chito Vera and then ultimately give us what your favorite spot is for this fight as well as your favorite prop. Yeah, dude, I you pretty much hit on all the main talking points of the fight for me. So I, there's not, there's not, I got fired up this week, Luke. I'm sorry. I got fired up this week with disrespect <laughs> being thrown at one of the bantamweight goats. No. Yeah. Like I said, I, th I think you broke down the fight really well. Um, I, I, yeah. This line is just disrespectful to Dominic Cruz. In my opinion, I, I might rehash a couple different things you said, but at least from like my primary argument standpoint, because the talking point is that Cruz is is washed and he's done. I concede the fact he's gotten hurt more. That's a very concerning here. I do acknowledge that. But the guy's on a two-fight win streak. I'm not willing to say somebody is cleanly regressing who's just won their last two fights. Like, that's just not logical to me, let alone at a high level, too. We're talking yeah. top 15. We're not talking, like, low-level, middling. Uh, let me throw this out for you real quick. Casey Kenny versus Marlon Vera, who would you take? I'd have to think about that. I don't know. I feel like I would take Casey Kenny there, right? Like the grappling advantage that he has in that spot. If he's able to like put on a pace and put on an output and and mix in takedowns, I think he could give Cheeto Vera some issues. Yeah, he definitely could. Yeah, I guess I've, I'd never really thought about that. But yeah, that's interesting. But so outside of the me dis disagreeing that he's washed, 
that that's one talking point. The other talking point that you brought up too is that looking at the font fight, people just assume that because font got hit so much, font got dropped all the time that that's what's going to happen here. But your point, Cruz doesn't isn't Rob Font. He doesn't stand in front of people like that. Font, if you're familiar with his general style, he is a lip of the pocket boxer. That's what he is. It's not Dominic Cruz like at all. That's not what his style is, right? So I don't think that's a fair comparison, first and foremost, for people that are primarily using that benchmark. I am concerned still Cruz getting hurt, though, right? And that's kind of the thing with Cheeto. But despite the improvements that I've seen from Cheeto over the years, there's a lot of things with Cheeto Vera that have just not changed. I'll list off a few of them. He eats strikes at a ridiculously high clip defending at only 50%. He's always been hittable. That's never changed about his game. He's an incredibly slow starter. Never changed about, I think he, on average, he's lost like 80% of his first rounds or something in the, like it's a ridiculous number. And so to just kind of touch on what someone said in the chat, like if you like Vera, why would you bet him pre-fight and just bet him live after one? You're, you're going to get a better line on his, but he's going to lose the first round in like a ridiculous amount of scenarios here. I feel pretty confident in saying that. So if you like Cheeto, money line, just bet him after one. You're going to get a better price. Um, and then the cardio too. Everyone talks about the cardio of Vera, which is very good. Not not disputing that. But we're not going to talk about the cardio of Dominic Cruz. Like yeah, Dominic Cruz. thrown out for some reason. Dominic Cruz is 6-1 and one in 25-minute fights. The only lone blemish coming to Cody Garbrandt, which you touched on, was an all-world performance from Cody Garbrandt, which is just never going to be duplicated. And even in doing so, Dominic Cruz still won two rounds of that fight. It was not as one-sided as people made it out to be. Except yeah. this guy had to have a career performance to not only beat Dominic Cruz, which he did. It's not like he mollywopped Cruz, though. Like I said, that was a competitive fight and that's the one that he lost so kind of going back to some of uh past takes and you know just my general handicapping style like i tend to fade people who are reliant on moments and finishes because it's a little bit harder pro to project it's a little bit harder pr to predict whereas dominic cruz is just a much better minute to minute fighter than vera vera has been a horrible minute to minute fighter throughout the course of his career that just can't be disputed by anybody his, his strike differentials are negative. He's not cleanly winning rounds until later. Guys gas. He hurts. That hurts guys, finishes them, snags up guard subs after he's getting out wrestled. Last talking point of the fight, and I, I'm going, kind of going a whole No, go place. for it, dude. But, go for it. But is the wrestling, right? Dominic Cruz is pretty evidently the better wrestler in this fight. I know that only 17% of his overall fight time has been spent grappling, but he's in control time positions 86% of that time. So he is reliant to get that top time, at least in relation to the times that he's able to get uh, guys down. Obviously, he's had struggle with extended control. But when you factor in a guy like Cheeto Vera, who has been consistent to play guard, like you can point to like six or seven different fights where he does that. If he does that with Cruz, Cruz is shown to be a competent defensive grappler for the most part outside of, you know, the, the favorite blemish or whatever. Um he floats between top positions. Well, I don't think he gets guards by Vera. So Vera's going to go out there and give two minutes or, or so of, uh, of rounds away on his back. There's a path to, to dominant Cruz there. And then let's extrapolate that just a little bit more. Let's say he doesn't get the control time potentially on Vera. Well, 
going back to the point of Vera not being a good minute-to-minute fighter and Cruz being a good minute-to-minute fighter. So let's say it is competitive minute-to-minute. We don't have a big Vera moment. Well, the Vera moment that could steal him around, why can't a dominant Cruz take down, steal him a close round too? Like, I haven't heard that talked about by anybody, right? And, and we're, we're talking like, about one of the smartest fighters to ever grace the cage, uh, octagon as well, right? Yeah, that, that's another key component. The guy fights incredibly intelligent. He's not going to fight the guy like a dummy. With all of that being said, I think Cruz is getting disrespected this week. I think he is an auto bet at plus 200. I understand that Cheeto technically has more paths to win, which is why I do favor Cheeto. I'm not saying I favor Cruz outright. I think Vera... 55, 60% is probably fair. Also factoring in the age component. I think that does need to be taken into consideration. So I do slightly lean Vera from a handicapping perspective, but from a betting perspective, this line has gotten too, too far out of hand. Uh, and I think it's just disrespectful to Cruz. I think you have to play Cruz this week. Yeah. Uh, Zach Johnson in the chat saying, we all said that the same thing about font versus Vera, but again, like font, his output helped him obviously in that spot, but his footwork and defensive striking, uh, not the same level as Dominic Cruz, clearly. And in just one real quick last point, Dominic Cruz and once active Bantam weights is ranked fifth in terms of significant strike defense. There you go. <laughs> there you fucking go. I love it. I love it. All right. That will wrap up the breakdown portion of this uh, podcast, but let's get into the CloudBet special props that they do have for the card. Once again, you guys can follow CloudBet uh, and sign up to them below. One of the first ever crypto sportsbook on the market. Link is in the description below. Uh, let's get into the favorite or special bets that they have here. So I'll, I'll be asking you these questions, Luke, and then I'll answer them myself afterwards. But first up, uh, Cruz Vera, total significant strikes over under 189.5 that's combined significant strikes between the two tricky once again because i think the cruise defense plays some credence to that but i think cruise is going to land a high volume of strikes i do think this goes a full 25 the odds project this is going to go a full 25. um like I said, the wrestling of Cruz for me is, I think, more of a sneaky angle than most people have, even on the Cruz side, that I think he actually could rack up top time here, which in theory would potentially drop that. But I lean over. Yeah, I lean with the over as well, too. I think he could get some significant strikes on the mat. Like, I think that that's yeah. possible. Maybe not as at high of a clip as if you were to keep this fight standing, but I do like the over 189 and a half as well. It's it's just tricky with those two-man pre with the ground strikes because we know fight metric is kind of all over the board with, like, significant strikes versus strikes on the ground. I just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, no, you're right. They they don't seem to score the strikes on the ground as much as significant strikes as they do uh, when they're on the feet, which is weird. Because I think if you ask those fighters, they they probably feel like they were significant strikes. As well. Yeah. Um. Here's a special one that I haven't seen them ever drop before on Cloudbet. Here, first round winner as per official scorecards. So that needs at least two judges to score the first round for that fighter. Marlon Vera minus one fifty. Dominic Cruz plus 125. I think that line is backwards myself. I can tell just by your facial expression that you were leaning with the Cruz side here as well, correct? I don't know what the limits are on that, but I would load that for a lot. 
Yeah. Uh, again, the, these are like special props. So there are some soft, uh, soft limits on it. Keep that in mind, obviously. But uh, yeah, if you do have CloudBet or or wanting to get on CloudBet, that's probably the prop that will lean you into to ju- jumping on CloudBet. So I would generally put Cruz like minus 200 on that. Yeah, no, I agree. I absolutely agree. I wonder why. Maybe they're just trying to bait people in with that line and hoping that fucking Vera lands a knockdown or something. But uh, again, historically speaking, Marlon Vera, not a good round one winner. All right. Uh, Marlon Vera knockdowns over under 0.5. I do think he does not cruise down once. I'm going to go over. Yeah, I'll go with the over as well. It's at minus 143, so they do see a little bit of, uh, you know, that happening and some credence to that, which is why it's that that high. Uh, all right, here. This this one I'll have to quickly explain to you, uh, Luke. It's the USA main card performances. So they have performance points that they put together. It's uh, you get 25 points if you win via stoppage. You get 10 points if you win via decision. They currently have it set at over under 24 and a half. So this is main card fighters that are American. So let's just quickly see who those guys are here. Um, main card, Gerald Mearshart, Devin Clark, Nate Landwehr, and Dominic Cruz. What are you thinking here? Over under 24 and a half total points that they'll be able to rack up. I mean, I am getting dicey on Landwehr and Cruz this week. Obviously, the odds would not indicate that, but we got Clark. I'm gonna. I'm personally. I'm gonna go, I'll go under. I'm gonna go under because I think we get. Uh, well, I think the Clark is the swing one here for us. But uh, I'm thinking Clark loses. I'm thinking uh, Mearshart loses. But I think that Cruz and Landwehr both win by decision, which still only gives us 24 points. Uh, but you're thinking over with the with the. Um, Devin Clark one, correct? Yeah, what I will, I'm thinking over just from like my general stance on the fight, but even like based on the odds, I think it would actually be a wiser bet based on the percentages to probably play the under, if that makes go. sense. Minus 114 on the under 24 and a half. Uh, main card total takedowns. So total takedowns from. Uh, Mirshart, Silva, Lipsky, Casuera, Clark, Mirzakhanov, Yarigui, Lucindo, Onama, Landwer, and Vera Cruz. It is set at 11 and a half. What are you thinking? Under. I will probably be leaning with you there as well because I don't think we see the Mirshart fight go long enough to get us, you know, multiple takedowns. Cashware, we might be able to get one or two takedowns from Lipsky there. Uh, Mirzakhanov, Clark, I think that you know finishes even without a takedown uh, with Mirzakhanov bonking him early. Uh, Yadagui, I think she stuffs the majority of takedowns. But even so, let's give Lucindo one takedown. That's three takedowns total. Landwehr, Onama, let's say Landwehr lands three to four takedowns. That's still, what, five, six takedowns. And then Cruz, Vera, like we might get close if Cruz does go out there and shoot for more takedowns. So we might get close for like nine, 10 takedowns. But I still do think the under 11 and a half will end up hitting. Yeah, I think that should be like, I think 10 would probably, 10, 10 and a half would probably be a fair line in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so I think the under is interesting. All right, we got one more page of these we can quickly go through. Then we'll get over the three best prop bets. Next one here is uh, which main card fighter will record the fastest finish? What are you thinking? So 
I'd say the two obvious ones that most people will be looking at would be Bruno Silva and Azamat Mirzakhanov. Uh, plus 500 on Silva, plus 650 on Mirzakhanov. They did have David Onama squeezed in there at plus 575. Yeah, I'm probably going to go with it's the cop-out answer, Silva. I, I, yeah. just, I think they have that line correctly. Um, probably the long shot I would take, though, is, is Yargui. Oh, you think she she could get it done the quickest on the main card? Plus 1,000, not a bad line either, though, especially considering the striking discrepancy that we're expecting in that matchup. All right, um, fight of the night. What do you think can we get here? Who wins fight of the night? These are tough because usually even if it's a banger but it like ends in three minutes, they usually don't give those fight of the mm-hmm. night. So I'm actually going to go land where Onama at plus 1,200. Like I said, I think if if – Onama doesn't kill him. I think Landware is going to give him a scrap, blood and guts war. Let's go Landware Onama plus 1200. I like that. You know what? I do like that myself. Plus 1200. I was kind of surprised to see that number there, but I think they are expecting Onama to get that quick finish to which will likely get, uh, you know, get them out of that fight of the night discussion. But I think it's very, very live, especially at those odds. Uh, I think Vera Cruz is definitely up there as well, considering we'll likely get 25 minutes of a, of a war there. But uh, I think right after that would likely be Landware versus Onala. All right, last one. Uh, fastest finish on the entire card. What are you thinking here? Oh, man. If if, if you're in that Charlie Onaveros truth crowd, plus <laughs> 2,400, you want to test it. I mean, plus 800 on the round one already. I'm just kind of messing yeah, with Yeah, plus 2,400 on fastest finish would not be a bad spot, though. Let's be um, honest. I guess whole card instead of, yeah, I would going back up to the first one, instead of saying Silva main card fastest finish, I would go plus 1000 on the Yaragui fastest main card finish and then take plus Silva as the fastest you know, overall at plus 1300. Yeah, I like that as well. Plus 1300 would probably be the best way to go about it. All right, let's get to our three best prop bets and then we'll get on out of here. Uh, I'll start it off as normal. I hope you guys love the uh, the quick edit that I made on the propping you up graphic here. <laughs> Throw my guy Luke in there. Um, all right, first one. I'm going to go cruise via decision plus 275. If you guys couldn't tell how fired up I was about that breakdown, I had to go with that one. Usually I don't like taking the same prop as Cody or whoever my guest is, but I got to do it for this one, especially if I feel very convicted about it. So plus 275. Also, if anybody is scared of that potential very early finish or finish of any sort, uh, DraftKings does have plus 150 on Cruz decision only to save you a little bit of sweat, if anything. Uh, next up, I'm going to go with Martin Budai, round two, plus 400. I am seeing now that uh, Luke brought it up, that FanDuel has a plus 550. Love that line. Uh, actually, while we were doing this podcast, I actually made that official bet. <laughs> and I threw it up on my bet MMA as well as making it uh, an actual bet as well. But Boudet round two plus 550. I got in at 0.25 units, but I love it. I, I love that spot for him. And then lastly, I'm going to go with the, the the crazy one here. I'll go with Antaveros round one plus 800. You know, just getting a little bit crazy here, throwing on my tinfoil turban and uh, really hoping that uh, Antaveros can put that early uh ko power on him on the diminishing durability of uh gabriel benitez hopefully he gets him out of there but again if i was to truly recommend a play of any sort in that fight it would either be the under one and a half or fight doesn't go to decision you guys can parlay that somewhere and one of those guys is definitely getting a finish i am picking benitez to win don't get me wrong but it is hard to pass up plus 800 on ontiveros in round one all right luke i'll swing it on over to you 
Cruz via decision. Uh, guys, I I wish that we had a little bit more dissension on this card. <laughs> we, we did not we did not talk before. In fact, it's proven we didn't talk before because I, I jumped on in like less than 15 minutes. So I really yeah. had no idea what Manfred was thinking. But yeah, we're in a, we're in alignment here. You know, Cruz not a historic finisher, volume-based guy. I think he can land takedowns, extend this fight. Cheeto's known for his toughness, durability, good defensive grappling. Cruz obviously has value on his money line. If you want to get a little bit cute with it, I, I think him by decision is safe as well. I'm going my girl Loopy Godinez via decision. So my one chalk, you know, prop of the card. But I just think it's going to be really difficult for Angela Hill to win minutes when she's going to get put on her butt for extended minutes here. But I also think she's proven to be a sound uh, defensive grappler and being able to avoid sub attempts from a high level black belt in Verna Jandaroba. She also has proven the durability to not get put out cold by one of the hardest hitters in the division and Amanda Lemos. So Godinez grind 30, 27 all day for me. And my dicey one of the card, Nate, the train by decision at plus five fifty. Um, I think homeboy's going to survive her survive the first round. And I think he's going to go out here and surprise some people. He's got proven uh, elite cardio. I'm not willing to say that he's fragile yet. He's high volume. He has been able to mix in takedowns and he has known to take over fights in rounds two and three. You factor that in with the Onama short notice nature as well. I like Glamour's cardio to hold up. I like his durability to hold up. I like Nate the train to compete on minutes here and edge out a decision. There you guys go. Three best profits from me and Luke. Hopefully we can cash two of them each. Maybe that would be great, including that Dominic Cruz via decision because that would be amazing. Um, and I can't wait to see what the crowd will be like next week when they're ripping up their Chito Vera tickets. I am also ready to take all the punishment in the world verbally from everybody if uh, Vera goes out there and starches him as well. But this is the game that we play, Luke. We put ourselves out there. We give our takes, hot takes, you know, the sheep takes, if you want to call it the, that as well. But uh, we try to stay firm with our spots and say it with conviction. All right. Before we get on out of here, I want to give you one last opportunity uh, to plug anything you would like to plug. Uh, and then I'll sign us off. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, dude. Um, yeah. I didn't, wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do the show or not, but I was able to make it happen. Definitely fun. Always love chopping it up. Do you, like I said, for the people, I wish we maybe had a little bit more dissension on this card, but uh, I know, I know. Eh, well, it is what it is. Looks like we're in lockstep. So, um, yeah, it looks like if you suck this week, I'm gonna suck. <laughs> if we do good, we can sit there and you know hug and have a beer. Exactly. Um, Pat each other. But, uh, yeah, Twitter guys, uh, SWR underscore betting. That's where I'm uh, most active on. Probably need to get back on my my IG game a little bit more. But try try to have some fun on there. Post some funny gifts, photos, interact with people. But also take the betting game obviously very seriously. Try to try to drop some nuggets uh, on there as well. Club and Sub podcast on YouTube live Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern with me and my boys, John Stargarin, who you have seen relatively regularly on this prop show before on my boy Danny Legs breaking uh, these cards down every single week. We just hit uh, a little over our 100th episode two or three hey, uh, weeks ago. So uh, putting putting some grind time in there. If you guys are looking to add another podcast, another breakdown you know, uh, group, uh, I would highly recommend checking us out. We'd like to have some fun on there as well. Um, and then patreon.com slash SWR betting. If you guys are interested, bets, Content I do full called breakdowns, parlay article, value proposition article. Obviously, you guys really got in depth on that one for me today with the show. Um, make it pretty affordable for everybody. Like I said, if you're just looking for another person in the space, just more content to consume out there. I would appreciate your uh, support on there as well. 
There you guys go. I promise you guys will begin some sharp takes from Luke. Otherwise, I would not have brought him on the show. This is pretty as simple as that. Uh, Luke, again, appreciate you jumping in on super short notice here, filling in for the GOAT, Cody Saftik. Uh, for the viewers, Cody will be back next week for UFC 278. Uh, that should be going down Thursday at 5 p.m., so keep your eyes tuned for that. Myself, I will be back doing another live stream in the next 40 minutes on my channel, doing the Ultimate Wayne Show with my guy Andrew Gombas uh, from uh, from Bets and Picks MMA. I will be breaking down the card one last time. I'm going to be going out and checking the, the weigh-ins after I wrap up the stream uh so that we can take any nuggets from there and add it to that show as well so if you guys are looking for more betting content come on through to my channel at uh 3 p.m eastern as we'll be going live at that time as well shout out as always to the all-star make sure you guys like and subscribe over to them here as well um drop a comment let us know what your favorite props are as well if you're watching this on the back end and then follow, uh, like I said, follow Luke on Twitter, SWR underscore betting. Follow myself on Twitter at MMALOTN. And uh, we will try to provide your timeline with some useful information. If not, maybe some giggles as well. All right. Appreciate everybody coming through for the podcast. Good luck on your bets. And we'll see you again right here next week for UFC 278. Peace out.